Good evening, everyone. The meeting of the Public Safety Commission is called to order. Today is Monday, October 10th. We begin to acknowledge that the land on which we gather and that is currently known as the City of West Hollywood is the occupied, unceded, seized territory of the Gabrielino Tungva and Gabrielino Kritz people. Also, I would be remiss if I did not mention that today is Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, Commissioner Berger, will you lead us in the pledge, please? Yes. Commission Secretary, um, can I please get a roll call? Commissioner Berger? Here. Commissioner Oliver? Present. Commissioner Roman? Here. Commissioner Soon Xiong? Here. Commissioner Steele? Here. Vice Chair Balbone? Present. Chair Hallman? Present. We have a quorum. Thank you. Um, approval of the agenda. Um, are there any changes tonight to the agenda from for tonight, October 10th. Everyone's good? Okay, thank you, commissioners. Uh, do we need to do roll call again, commission secretary, since we're all in agreement that there are no changes? Yes, let's take another roll call. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Berger? Here. Commissioner Oliver? Commissioner Roman? Here. Here. Commis Commissioner Soon Fiong? Here. Commissioner Steele? Here. Vice Chair Balbone? Yes. Chair Hallman? Here. The agenda is approved. Thank you. Um, approval of the minutes. Are there any changes to the minutes from our September 12th meeting, commissioners? I, I have a question about the agenda. When am I supposed to say that? Was that about a, one of the items on the agenda, um, if we should have it on the agenda tonight or not? I think that um, should have been um, brought up during um, approval of the agenda. Okay, can I still say that? Because I would like to move that 9B be brought to another meeting because um, it was, I only got the report like two hours ago for that and it wasn't um the public couldn't get it either we, we just came available on that and then the second thing is there are people that want to call in that just contacted me on zoom and they don't have the password to get on and i don't know how many people are even on trying to get in on zoom and can't get on so for those reasons i would like to put that off to another meeting um, Director Rivas, what's our protocol here? Um, so in, in terms of 9B, I mean, we do have um, city staff representatives um, here to provide. It is a more of an update. Um, that item is an update, and they're actually going to be visiting um, not just the Public Safety Commission, but other commissions as well. Um, and so it's part of an outreach effort, um, but it's certainly up to 
um, the entire commission on uh, whether or not um, you would want to um, put that on hold. Um, but again, it's, it's an update. There's no actionable, um, you know, recommendation that's being asked of the commission. Um, and what we could do, what I would suggest too, is let staff, since they're here, provide the presentation, and then we could even post um, the information on next uh, month's agenda as well, so that folks could actually view it and um, digest it a little bit more, uh, given the, the time uh, frame that uh, Commissioner Berger had mentioned. Um, commissioners, are we all in agreement on this? Does anyone have anything else to say? I just wanted to offer that this is a bill that was co-sponsored by the city of West Hollywood. It's gone through council. Um, a lot of us have been really dialed into it and the information has been very present for a long time. So I'm comfortable with city staff providing an update. Okay, Commissioner Sanjion. I'm also comfortable. Uh, Vice Chair Balbone. I'm comfortable because it's just an update. Okay, uh, Commissioner Oliver and Commissioner Roman. So Commissioner Berger, are you all right if okay. we move forward? Yeah. Okay. Um, Commission Secretary, can I get a roll call, please? Commissioner Berger? Aye. Commissioner Oliver? Aye. Commissioner Roman? Aye. Commissioner Soon Xiong? Aye. Commissioner Steele? Aye. Vice Chair Balbone? Aye. Chair Hallman? Aye. Great public comments. Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any public comments waiting in Zoom? Sorry, actually, uh, Chair, we, we do. We do have um, one uh, person that has called in, and so let me transfer over here and see if um, the phone number, um, if the person calling in with the last five, uh, four digits of 5545, um, if you could press uh, star six to unmute yourself, um, state your name um, and uh, the item that you wish to speak on if it is um, uh, not an item that's listed on the agenda. And you will have three minutes. Thank you. Um, my name is Mike Carter. Uh, greetings and good evening. I speak tonight as a captain of the Ogden Orange Neighborhood Watch in requesting that we are included in the block-by-block -block kiosk program. This is the Fairfax Santa Monica Boulevard corridor, which is, is pretty volatile. My calls uh, the last several weeks are at an all-time high to block-by-block. -block. There's a migration of indigent humans uh, to our neighborhood. And I don't think we can discount this volatility of the Fairfax Santa Monica Boulevard corridor and I'll tell you why. Um, lately, I've been circulating in different political forums and, and meet and greets, and um, it's been mostly pleasant, but troubling is um, questions to me like, hey, Mike, why is your neighborhood so dirty? Why is where the heaviest reports of well-known indigent individuals populating the sidewalks, drinking, doing drugs, and refusing services in your neighborhood, Mike, and then there's an awkward silence. Um, our commercial corridor needs paint, sprucing up of the display windows. Um, mostly we have a variety of, of 
businesses that include blue collar trades plumbing electricians hardware a leather worker and you know we have fancy cars coming into our neighborhood for our cheaper craft work and our skilled labor and there's a disrespect that I find when I talk to the owners of these businesses with people who come in their fancy cars they refuse to pay or they pay less than was agreed to um, in addition the fountain and Santa Monica Boulevard intersection of North Ogden and Orange Grove we need to look into no left turn measures there because uh, this is a very dangerous practice and I feel that um, it's still unsafe to go out after dark um, and even before dark um, and I don't think that's any story um, any claimed advances to public safety I, I don't think can claim to have quelled any fear that my neighbors and I have about going out during the daytime and during the evening. And I thank you very much and I wish you a good meeting. Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any more callers waiting in Zoom? So we only had one Zoom caller or calling caller? That's correct, Chair. Okay, thank you. Um, do we have public speakers um, in chambers? I don't have any public speakers in chambers. Wow, that's, a, oh. Or actually you may have one. Okay, you can step forward to the podium now. And you'll have three minutes, sir. Uh, that one, the taller mic on the podium, yeah. Yeah, just make sure you lean in close, I'm sorry. Everybody hear me? Yes. Yes, me yeah. too. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, the thing is, I'd like to talk about the main disaster of our community, about people. People don't realize that there is... Other, there is a lot of other people who want to sleep at night. <laughs> this is the problem. The main thing, our building is on the corner of La Brea and Santa Monica. And uh, our side of the building looks at McDonald's. And the customers of McDonald's, they don't think about people who live in this building. Because uh, when they come, there's the loud, loud, loud music they fight, they scream, they sing, they are drunk or whatever, doing what they want. We can't even open windows. I never open windows at night. And anyway, I hear all this stuff. You know, half year I was calling to police every night, as it was suggested in City Hall. But the thing is, when the police comes, there is nobody on the parking lot. So we can't improve this stuff. We need some, something. I don't know what to do. But we have a lot of children and uh, elder people in the building. They want to sleep. The people working, everybody want to sleep. But nobody can because of, especially weekends. 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's completely no dream, no sleep. Uh, weekdays, sometimes, not always, you know, but usually it's very loud outside. So, what can we do? That's all I can say. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> um, Director Rivas, um, is there a way this can be addressed? I'm sorry, in terms of the, the noise? Uh, yes, correct. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have somebody, um, we'll forward it over to our code enforcement staff and have somebody go and check on it um, and circle back. And um, maybe I can get uh, the community members' contact information and we could also follow up with you. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's the McDonald's on La Brea. That's, if everybody doesn't know, that's the only fast food restaurant in West Hollywood, and we hope they would go away. But um, in the meantime, is it possible to make them have, like, a security person that works Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that they pay for? So it, it's not something that we uh, could require, but we can definitely communicate with them um, and reach out to them and, and see if that's something that they would be willing to do. Yeah, because it seems like they've been complaining about this for a long time. So it seems like a really easy fix for me, like just to require that they have this. Yeah, we'll definitely follow up with them and circle back. If, with if you could come back maybe in a couple of months and let us know if they, they improved or not, or even call in. <clears throat> okay, and I think it would be helpful um, to definitely step up code enforcement um, if we can get that address on a regular um, check, you know, on, on nights and especially weekend nights. Because um, I would imagine this would need, we'd need those kinds of citations to escalate the case. Um, to take further action, but first is is um, identifying and citing any uh, business with those kinds of impacts on the community. And also maybe block by block can can get um, passed through there at those hours. That would be nice. And also maybe it's a high priority when they call for the police to come because I'm sure that's like a low priority. So by the time they get there, the people are long gone. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So we're going to have a code enforcement officer go out there, as I mentioned, um, communicate, and then we can also have that um, same staff member going doing kind of spot checks um, in the weekend and the evening hours. We do have somebody who's working. Um, so I think we'll start off from that um, perspective, and then we'll work our way through it. Um, but I think it's important, again, we'll connect with the community member and follow up and let the commission know as well. All right, thank you, Director Rivas. Um, Commission Secretary, um, I just got a notification from someone who's having problems getting in um, to Zoom to make public comments. Yeah, and um, I don't know if that's the same person that maybe communicated with Commissioner Berger, but um, we, we actually had a staff member that called in right now and they were able to get in without having to enter in a passcode. Um, and then, um, Mike Carter, who spoke a little earlier, um, got into Zoom as well. So um, maybe we'll just make sure that um, the information does seem to be posted accurately and looked at the website. So maybe asking them to try it again. Okay, thank you. Sure. Uh, commissioner comments. Commissioners, do anyone of you have comments for this evening? I have one. 
Vice I know Chair. we're not doing any um, formal adjournment requests, but um, a former commissioner suffered a very sad loss. And I'd just like to have us um, think about them and maybe dedicate um, our condolences to them. And it's Jeff Wack. His husband, Mark Kellum, passed away. And I just think um, he was a meaningful member of our commission, and it's such a sad time for he and his family. So I just wanted to let them know that we're thinking about them and they're in our thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair. Um, any other commissioner comments? Oh, Commissioner Steele. Thank you, Chair. Um, first and foremost, I stand with all Angelinos and West Hollywood residents calling for the firing of LA City Council members for their racist remarks recently, including Kevin DeLeon, Gil Cedillo, uh, Nuri Martinez, along with LA Labor Federation President Ron Herrera. These kind of remarks by people in power and these levels of positions are in fact issues of public safety for our community. I was not here last meeting. Unfortunately, our family dog passed away, so I want to thank everyone who reached out with kind words, but I did watch at home. Um, and there was an incident that occurred that I wanted to mention, um, and I've already talked to the chair about it, so this shouldn't be a huge surprise. Um, there was a transgender woman who was here um, expressing some concerns and was forcibly removed by the sheriff and, well, I'll say escorted, excuse me, I want to be fair about that, um, was escorted out by the sheriff department and block by block, um, who I understand in your role were doing your capacity, so let's take that grain of salt there. Um, my concern is that, there's a variety of concerns with this for me, but I'll focus on this for now. We need to hear community, I think, in terms of what safety means to them. And my concern is that this woman was here expressing that she was terrified of both of these bodies, did not seem an express danger, did not seem uh, a formidable force or threatening to anyone other than some language that folks didn't agree with, which I think then puts us in some real, real freedom of speech messy water. But regardless, when we hear community, I just think it's so easy to see someone upset, someone kicking off, um, and not understand the pain behind that and really hear what those concerns are. Um, so I just would like to encourage us to try to look through a different lens um, and try to um, have empathy in those moments and see how we can be a better resource of safety. If I was here, I would have offered to walk out with her myself as opposed to a body that she was uncomfortable with. So um, that's it, thank you. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Steele. Uh, any other commissioner comments? All right, well, I will state that you, yes. Oh, Commissioner Sanjiano. Sorry, our computers are down today. That's okay. Um, I think relatedly, I wanted to elevate a story that the chair of the Transgender Advisory Board shared last week during council about a really horrific sexual assault that he experienced in West Hollywood, only to be denied the opportunity to even file a police report. And there was camera footage, text messages, and a record of events. And so I, I bring this up to really underscore what's at stake when we really ask what public safety means. Um, something that he wrote was that Afterwards, the sheriff went live on Instagram from one of the clubs that has the highest rates of drugging and sexual assault in the city to say that activists are a tiny fraction and they don't represent the community the sheriffs and club owners do. And, and something that I found really striking, even though this has been a topic of conversation for the past number of months, is that in the past eight years, 0% of the sexual assault and drugging incidences have been investigated or solved. And so I really want to really emphasize that 
as we talk about public safety interventions, it's important to keep in mind the stories and, and the voices and what makes people feel safe and listen to them um, in the ways and in, in the words that they are describing. Thank you, Commissioner Sunchion. Uh, any other commissioner comments? Um, I went in, yes, Commissioner Steele, we did have a dialogue about the situation. And as I expressed to you at that time, and I will express it again tonight, uh, having the disruptive individual removed had nothing to do with the fact that they are trans. They could have been a canary in the coal mine. But if you're disruptive in interrupting the meeting, you have to be removed. So the trans thing, I think, is a moot point. Um, also, um, I did attend the Holly, Holloway Home Key Project uh, meeting. Um, it was informative. Um, there was a lot of not in my neighborhood. Uh, as I expressed, it can't always be on the east side. And as a city, we need to share the burden to help our unhoused individuals. It is the responsibility of us all. Um, I believe there'll be further follow-up meetings. You know, this is just the beginning. But I do understand that residents do have concerns. And also, um, a big concern of mine, my target is at Santa Monica and La Brea. And now it's almost impossible to buy products um, off the shelf because they are locked behind glass cases. Now you need a target employee to open these cases. And I just think it's very sad. Um, I feel we are losing this battle. And I think we need to be more vigilant because consumers should not have to be inconvenienced because a handful of individuals just walk in and take things. And I had a neighbor who was at Beverly Center the other day, and as she and her partner were walking in, two gentlemen just walked out with handfuls of merchandise, very casually. She said they weren't sprinting, they were in no hurry, they just walked out. And she said, and we saw no security or anyone. So um, I think we need to do better. Um, report from our fire department. Fire chief, are you with us? It's always good to see you, sir. You got me? Perfect. Yes. Well, uh, thank you for your support to your fire department. As you know, we do a tough job in, with the city of West Hollywood, so we appreciate the support. I mentioned this last time I spoke about um, the different events that we've had and the support from the community with us. We like that interaction, so we appreciate that very much. I'd like to talk to September. We had a total of 630 runs within the city of West Hollywood, so that averages 20 daily. We did have 11 fires. We had 480 medical runs, and 133 of those required advanced life support, 184 required basic life support, and we transported 317 patients. We had zero hazardous materials call. We had four hazardous conditions called. 
We had 22 service calls, and we had 121 good intent calls. I'd like to talk to some recent fires that we've had, and it's been averaging between 8 and 13. And my concern is the dumpster fires, because dumpster fires lead to bigger fires, depending on where their position is. So as we know, we have a lot of people in the city of West Hollywood, and I know that it could be frustrating on determining cause, but it's very hard to do unless we catch that person in the act. But it doesn't mean every time we have a fire that is malicious. Accidents do happen. But regardless of how that fire starts, it could have some devastating effects um, to buildings, depending upon where that dumpster is and its ability to spread. There's a lot of different factors with that. So I think for the messaging is we just need to be really cognizant of how we're disposing of our rubbish um, and how those are positioned around the city because not everybody has the ability to have their own individual tr trash can that has curbside service for trash service that use community dumpsters, if you will, or at those residents. So there's a, a lot of challenges that could be had. So I've talked about this for a year on stuff that can lead to other things. We did have one structure fire, um, and that was in a vacant structure at the 8,000 block of Santa Monica Boulevard, and it did look like there was somebody experiencing homelessness that was potentially a cooking fire. And uh, with the swift actions of your West Hollywood firefighters, we kept it uh, um, manageable, let's just say. So, but it did have some significant potential. Uh, your fire department has great cooperation with our assisting agencies, and that's the LA City Fire Department, Beverly Hills Fire Department, of course, our Sheriff's Department that are lockstep with us on those emergency calls, and we're highly appreciative to all of them for that, um, that working relationship. Is there any questions for me? Any I questions? have a closer, too, <laughs> but I want to go, I want to start, uh, start with that before I have my closer. Commissioners, any questions? Commissioner Steele? <clears throat> Oh, there it is. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Chair. So for these fires, we have a lot of emails. I've been receiving emails and talking to community members about the rubbish fire, and I know we've spoken about them before, and I did have some notes here um, about these uh, fires. And I guess the question is, to your point, there is a concern there. Is Do we have a year-over-year -year number on that? Um, and forgive me if I missed it. We can accumulate that data. Okay. Um, it won't be exact, but it'll be pretty darn close Okay. what that, we're looking at if we're on a rise or a fall or an average. That would be great. And then I think just any other suggestions, is there some type of locking mechanism? I know in some buildings they have, if they can't actually put in a gate, they've got locked dumpsters. Um, and so maybe that's an option. There, there is I don't know if there's any other so suggestions. So the, the uh, let's just say the occupant owner or whoever manages that facility has the ability to manage the how that household waste happens. So there is occupancies that do have locks on them and there's different areas, there's buildings with trash chutes. Uh, there's a lot of different ways, but they falls on the responsibility of A, the homeowner and or the occupant or owns the structure to manage that, that refuse. Thank you, and then I guess just for Danny, is, have we ever had anything in regard to compliance or any working with rent stabilization or any of those bodies about that level of compliance for landlords or owners? 
I'm sorry, Commissioner Steele, say that again. Have we ever had anything in place in the city for landlords to do like a locking dumpster or locking trash so that we can avoid folks getting in there and creating these fires? Yes, actually, um, we, we do have a process for that. Um, and so we work um, with Athens, um, obviously, to make sure that they have right the locking mechanism and the key. So that's certainly something that we could look into. They don't do it on every um, uh, roll-off or, or dumpster, but um, for ones that we are having issues with, that, that can be done. Okay. So we can. So, yeah. so the way that it works with Athens at my business and at my home, they provide the dumpster, and then if you want to lock for it, you have to pay extra. I think it's like $4 extra a month. So maybe we can require every business, they have to have this locking mechanism on it. And it has to be the Athens lock because they have the key to open it and empty it. But that could be a way to avoid some of these dumpster fires is require every dumpster in the city to have a lock on it. We do it with our business um, because people just dump stuff into our dumpster and we don't want that. So we pay the $4 for a lock. Or maybe we can pay for everybody's lock or, or just require that they have to have this lock on their dumpster. Yeah. That's an easy fix. Okay. Also, um, commissioners, apologies. Um, I just forgot to mention, because we did have two commissioners absent last meeting, that we unanimously agreed with all of our agency reports that we would try to keep it to three minutes individually. And, you know, there's not going to be a timer or a buzzer or a gong. You know, we'll just self-police ourselves just so we can keep the meeting going. Um, I just have a follow-up question. Um, is there any indication as to like the cause of these fires or who, um, or that they're intentional, accidental? Is there any information or just kind of you arrive when it's already going? Yeah, and it's so uh, our investigators are really good. Our engine companies are really good. And it's tough to find the how. It really is unless somebody is caught or it is witnessed of some sort. But um, there is things that we can tell a lot of times that it was intentionally set. But we can also see a lot of times if it was just um, accidental. Like a cigarette going in? Cigarette or we've had a number of them, somebody's barbecuing, they think that they're Briquettes are cold, and they go in the dumpster because they appear that way, but they hold heat a long time, so that would be just an accident. Um, so, And so determining cause can be challenging, but th there's a lot of obvious signs that you can see that it was uh, malicious. It just seems that not. it should be more rare than this. Is this out of the ordinary? I don't see it as out of... Oh, okay. it, it's a concern, and so if you have... If, if it jumped from... Two a month, uh, where we're at, at 9 to 11, I would say yes, but we've been averaging 6 to 12 for quite some time now um, with this. And for over a year, we've been talking about the rubbish fires now. They have potential to... Has it... Have it. But in, that's kind of new then in recent years. It's not something that maybe 5, 10 years ago I would have seen to this extent. So I've been doing a long time. We get a lot of dumpster fires in okay. areas that there's uh, a high population of folks as compared to uh, bedroom type of communities, if you will, where everybody manages their own rubbish with their cans that go to the curb. Mm. That's good to know, thank you. Um, Commissioner Berger. So two things, in order to catch if it is purposely or negligently by repeated people, same people, um, 
maybe some sort of a ring camera or some kind of a camera would probably be a lot cheaper than sending our fire and and less dangerous than having our fire department go out and these possibly turning into structure fires. So I'm wondering if that might be something we can look into. And the second thing is, is the lid is closed. So if it was some sort of a, something that got in there and the people close the lid, I know a lot of these lids are like plastic lid. Um, have you run into that where the lids burn up? Yes. And so is there some sort of a lid that won't burn up that can well, contain they have, it? There is a metal type of lid, so there's quite a different designs to those uh, dumpsters, if you will. But then you could have a, uh, so maybe a fire that goes undetected because it's oxygen deprived. And then when somebody opens the lid, it introduces that action. And then you go, oh my gosh, now there's a fire. So it's not always a fire that you see that's very present. There's a lot of different phases to how much the right combination of what the fire needs to get large. And so one lid is one mechanism to help with that, to keep it confined. But also you talk to camera systems, and generically we'll just say ring. Is that, so when we go to a dumpster, our firefighters actually look to see if there is cameras, and we'll find out, hey, who owns that camera? We'll go and talk to them and say, hey, can we see your footage? And that may lead into an investigation and component with our organization and the sheriff's arson. So we, we routinely look at that, if there's any of that intelligence, if you will, through people that may have seen something there and or those type of uh, camera devices that are out, out and about. Mm. It does help. I know that we can, there's battery and solar powered, these cameras that are really affordable. Um, so it's just something that maybe the city can even look into. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you, Commissioner Berger. Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any public comments for our fire chief? No public comments in chambers. And Chair, we, um, we do have um, a community member that uh, was able to get in, and I think it's the same community member that was having some difficulty. So I don't know whether or not it would be speaking about this item or other, but would you like to have me call on that person to see whether or not? Yeah, I think work? before we do our sheriff's report, um, we should allow them to speak. And um, Chief, thank you. I have one more. I got oh. my closer. You're oh, right, I'm sorry. I forgot about the big yeah. closer. Uh, so uh, the community emergency response team, CERT. So it's starting October 15th. It's a total of 20 hours, so three days, and it's going to be consecutive Saturdays starting the 15th and the 22nd and 29th. It's going to be at the Aquatic Center, and we have 30 people that are registered right now. So we're happy about that. So CERT is coming back. We're looking ready to get that move and get the community involved. I plan on attending. I need to Great. register. It's like on it? my to-do list, so thank you. Yeah. Um, anything else, Chief? No, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you for coming. Uh, Director Rivas, we can go to our Zoom caller. Great. Um, so, uh, Stephanie Harker, I don't know whether or not um, you would want to speak at this, at this time, but if you do, please press uh, star six and you would have three minutes to speak. Well, I'm not on the phone. I don't know. Can you hear me? Or yes. Can we... we can hear you. Because I do. I did get thank you to uh, Ms. Akupa. I can never get your name right. 
thank you for letting us on. Um, I just want to say that this is part of the issue that trying to participate in public uh, uh, discourse is difficult. Um, the link that was finally sent to me at 6.30 um, was the one that was not posted and we could not get on without a password. So um, I will comment later on uh, one of the items, uh, but I thank you for letting us on and hopefully since we've all been Zooming for three years now, maybe we can finally get it right and have more part people participate in the important topic of public safety. Thank you. Great, thank you, Stephanie. Um, we have uh, Kathy uh, Blavis. Um, I don't know whether or not you would like to speak at this time as well, but if you do, please press star six and you'd have three minutes to speak. Okay, um, I will move on. Um, we do have a uh, telephone number ending in 8027. I believe that is uh, Michael um, Vojka-Levich. Um, if you'd like, sir, please press star six, um, unmute yourself, and you'd have three minutes to speak. Yes, uh, good evening, Michael Vojka-Levich. I have no idea uh, what agenda item you are on. Um, and that is probably because if I caught part of what Stephanie Harker said, um, it wasn't me who read a 6.30 start time. This has happened again and again and again. And the fact that if one goes via the calendar on the city website to see what a meeting is happening, there is still no link to the current agenda for that meeting. And so one has to not click once, click twice, click thrice. One has to click at least four different pages to finally access the current agenda. And you all allow this to happen. Just like those who are supporting candidates, as well as those ultimately who get selected onto boards, Missions and task force. These are the forums, like other forums that the city supports financially, where the conversation that I have heard firsthand is far worse than what was revealed today with LA City Council. And this is why this city, like so many areas in Southern California, are in trouble. Can anyone tell me what item we're on now since there was a, a, uh, a miscommunication again on the start time? I don't know what I'm speaking or I should be speaking about. What, what item is this? Uh, Michael, so this is general, general no, comment? No, no, no response. So, you know, here I am at the Detroit Community Garden where I've taken my own personal money to bring in soap dispenser, to bring in first aid kit, and for the past month, I have suffered, suffered from either leptospirosis or some weird type of meningitis. Why? Because there's an outbreak I just learned 10 minutes ago of, of field mice over at the Ralph and La Brea. And there was one, just one little three inch mouse that took me down over a month's time, two stage illness, second stage far worse. And, and what comes next? Well, we here is celebrating their Disabilities Awareness Month. 
So, you know, along with the homeless initiative, let's serve a low-income, disabled individual and eviction notice. Thank you for your... Michael, Michael, you have three, your three minutes are up. I have more than three minutes. That's your limitation that you put on me. No, um, I'm sorry, um, Michael, that is the limit. That's the limit for all public speakers. Thank you. Uh, So that is uh, all the uh, public participants we have in Zoom at this time, Chair. Okay, great. Thank you. Getting back on track. Sorry, Chair, can I just offer one thing? Oh, yeah. Hi, sorry. I have um, mentioned the time issues a couple times, so I just want to acknowledge what Michael said, and also sorry for any illness you're experiencing, but um, I do want to acknowledge it because I've mentioned it a couple times. There are different places on the city site where it does say different times, and there are times where if you click through, it says agenda, but it doesn't click through the agenda. On the main page, it does, which is beautiful, but there are sub-pages on the site that if folks aren't used to that main page click through, it does take you a little bit down a rabbit hole and you can't get the agenda. So I want to acknowledge that. We've heard it from several community members. Um, and I'll try to dig through and see where those links are and send it to the support. Um, Director Rivas, can we have someone look into that on the city site and to make sure that the proper meeting time is stated? Yes, absolutely. And actually, I was on it right now. I mean, when I go to the West uh, Hollywood Public Safety Commission, it does list um, the current agenda with the start time of 6 p.m. Um, the title of the Public Safety Commission agenda, as you'll notice, says a special meeting. And the reason being is that we're starting 30 minutes earlier than what the Public Safety Commission it, it should be um, beginning their meeting on um, in terms of what's listed in the bylaws. So a couple of commission meetings ago, we had a conversation, right, about the start time, about moving it up to 6 p.m. as opposed to 6.30. Um, and so, I, yeah, having uh, a good sense of where exactly folks are going to, um, we'll take a look at that and, and report back. But I think the, the situation will clear itself uh, when we get uh, changes updated to our bylaws, which will now have the 6 p.m. Great. Thank you, Director Rivas. Um, moving on to our report from our Sheriff's Department. Um, Chair, just while we're waiting, uh, Danny, I did find it immediately when I searched public safety. It does show the 630, so I'll email you this link. Good evening, Lieutenant Lapkin. How are you? Good evening, Chair, Vice Chair and Commissioners. How are you? Let me get started. So the for the month of September, we had 165 Part 1 crimes, which was one higher than last month's uh, total Part 1 crimes. Um, the west side west district was 61 percent city center was 12 percent and the east district was 27 percent unfortunately the grand thefts have increased this month to pickpocket increased from 14 to 24 and catalytic converter thefts increased to five um, although we've had 11 armed robberies six of those were estes robberies and just for if you don't know what the estes robberies is those are the ones where they go into a shopping mall or something and security struggles with them so there's a, a struggle ensued those are considered estes robberies so we've had six of those the total of the thefts 
which include the grand theft, petty theft, and vehicle burglaries, accounting for 64% of the, of the Part 1 crimes. Um, out of those 64%, 57% of those were in the West District. City Center, again, had a small number. They only had uh, 20 incidents that month. Which I can't say only, but it's a low number of incidents compared to the other districts. The East District saw, again, a surge in the Estes robberies. Um, three of them were at Target. One of them was at T-Mobile, and the other one was at Starbucks. And um, just for clarification, the Starbucks and the T-Mobile was the same individual, and he was arrested for that. Um, this month, we had a... a increase in the arrest. We had 233 arrests. Um, out of the 16 rob robberies that we had, 11 were armed, and there was five arrests for that. Five of them were strong-arm, and we had one arrest for that. Um, again, total six arrests for the robberies. There was 12 aggravated assaults, um, 11 incidents. There was five. Um, there was three, three arrests, and Two of them, unfortunately, were for the unhoused um, individual. And let me go back to the robbery. Seven of the arrests were unhoused individuals that committed those crimes. The COPS team and EPT team continue to do their undercover plainclothes operations, um, and we continue to do our footbeats through the parks. We continue to do um, footbeats east and west to try and reduce the number of crimes that there have happening on the west side. Another note, Community Academy. Um, um, like the fire department, they're starting their CERT program. Uh, the Community Academy for the Sheriff's Department is starting October 12th. It's starting up on Wednesday. It's six sessions on Wednesdays. Um, we're also um, participating in, um, um, during the Community Academy, there's a variety of things, but there's ride-alongs, there's jail tours, there's a few things that are part of the Community Academy. Um, as far as I know, there was a question last, I wasn't here the last month, unfortunately I was at training, but the prior to that, we talked about training. Um, we have um, started our uh, rape treatment center training has come to the station. They're coming back again on the 19th and we're doing in-service training, they call roll call training. We're also doing our, the Sheriff's Department started a training of the LGBTQ plus um, training. So we've had a total of 57 of our deputies have gone through the training, and we're going to continue to do that training until the rest of the station has gone through that. Um, I know that um, Commissioner Sung Chung had asked about the CPT training and other training. We won't have those numbers until the end of the December, because that's our two-year cycle. But any other type of training that you would require um, or you would ask, I can have our training sergeant come and speak to the commission to give you specifics. Do you have any questions for um, me? I do have one, Lieutenant Lapkin. Um, you mentioned pickpocketing. Yes, sir. Um, do we know what type, like is it still the cell phone pickpocketing that we've been experiencing in the bars? Yes, sir. It's been the pickpocketing, whether it's on your back pocket. Um, very few were from the front pocket, but a lot of them were from pur purses that were left unattended for a short period of time, whether it be hanging from a chair or whether it be uh, on a bar. So it, the pickpocketings have been the cell phones. There was one arrest, although LAPD arrested somebody, uh, unrelated incident that had our victim's cell phone and wallet. So we were able to return that. Thank you. Um, commissioners, any other questions? Just a quick question. Commissioner um, Oliver. If, uh, for, some, for anyone who can't make this uh, community academy, mm -hmm. when will the next one be? We're hoping to do two a year. 
So the next one will probably be in the beginning of the year. We're hoping maybe February, March. We have to figure out on scheduling, but our goal is to have two community academies a year. Commissioners, uh, Vice Chair Balbon. I have a question regarding the training. I know you said that your deputies are going through the training. What about the um, uh, dispatchers? Everybody from the station, the dispatchers are, are deputies or LETs, which is our the dispatchers. And we've opened it up to um, uh, our block by block. We're are inviting our code enforcement officers as well and parking enforcement as well. Okay, so, thank you. And we, I think we, we had, a, I think Commissioner Steele um, participated in one of the trainings. Thank you. Any other commissioner questions? Uh, commissioner Steele. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, so thank you for the reporting. Just a couple of quick questions. Um, under here where it says uh, rape is listed under part one crimes, um, does drink spiking fall under that? Because I know we've had separate reporting for that. So I'm just trying to find out, can we list it separately so that we can kind of track that since we have some efforts happening in the city? I know we do track them and that, that'll be presented on the six month reports, but we could, um, if you want us to, if drink spiking was part of the rape, we can include it in that. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it would just be helpful because there's efforts working toward that. It would yes. help kind of a trackable Absolutely. metric. Thank you so much. And then um, I had asked for a breakdown a while ago of the misdemeanors and grand thefts. That's a deeper dive. And that may exist and I just haven't seen it. Is that possible to, just to get the public a little bit more informed about what that means and what that looks like? We, we did break it down a little bit more than what we have, but okay. unfortunately um, in the misdemeanor section there, we have a litany of different misdemeanors that could fall under a vehicle or it can follow under different things. So what we've asked our, what I've asked our, our crime analyst, if we have a specific crime that, can we identify that specific crime in the misdemeanors? Got so it. I can continue to follow up with him, but I know that he did, uh, he did extend it because there's a lot of misdemeanor part two crimes yep. that it would be too much to put on one sheet. Okay, thank you. And I think one of the concerns there, or the thoughts there rather, sorry, was that when you see grand theft, that sounds really big yes. to people. And then we're talking about pickpocketing, which yes. we know is an issue, which we're making some effort on. Um, but I just think it will help a little bit with the public discourse on the topic. Um, and then on that same kind of token, in terms of the crime spiking on the west side, there seems to be a lot here that's relative to nightlife. And I just wonder, is it possible to get a breakdown of that? I don't know what that looks like, but... Again, we're seeing drunken disorderly, we're seeing vehicular stuff. There's a variety of crimes that are happening on the west side that would seem that they would coincide with nightlife, and I think that's an important conversation to have. So I'm just wondering if there is a breakdown of that or if that's something we can build towards. I, I can check, but I know that we, when we have like the grand theft breakdowns, it could, I, I'll tell you that there was 24 pit pockets. Yep. But um, I could break it down a little more if that's what you would like for. Yeah, I just think when we're looking at, like I'm looking at the West Side Report and, and all the crimes that are listed when you start to break it down, what we hear are statements like crime is up on the West Side, right? But what we know is we have a really robust nightlife community. We know numbers were down in August. They were back up in September, which is amazing for nightlife. That's going to affect the numbers we see reflected in September. So I want to make sure as we're kind of building that public discourse, people are getting that accurate information. So, you know, marinate on it, whatever that might look like. I'm just trying to get kind of a cleaner picture of information for the public on that. Yeah, I'll do that for the grand theft to see if there's an, besides the pitpock and if what are the other, what other stats. We can do that, absolutely. Okay, thank you. And then just finally, um, I did attend the LGBTQ plus training and I appreciated getting that invitation. I wanted to know if the um, department would be open to working with LGBTQ leaders on um, 
auditing and then building uh, robust training. Um, there were a few things in there. I won't get into the LGBTQ nuance of it. What I will speak on is um, because it's an LASD training, there was zero West Hollywood information. There wasn't information about West Hollywood wraparound services, which we absolutely offer. There wasn't um, information about you know, kind of the community and why and how and how we got there. There was a little bit of that, um, but it was spoken and it wasn't, there's such a robust explanation and understanding of why with a city that's over 40% LGBTQ and our history, we need this conversation. So again, it's not meant to be um, a critique, but a build. I'd love to figure out what that looks like. Um, and I've already been talking to quite a few LGBTQ leaders about that, so. I'm sure we can come up with, if we, our M Melissa, who's doing our training, she can do her portion, and then maybe we can invite somebody else to do the second part um, to talk about the history of West Hollywood, how we, and the different services and whatever, however you want to see. I'm sure we can come up with a plan okay. to do that. Thank you. Um, commissioners, any other questions? Yeah. Uh, um, Commissioner Berger was first. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Commissioner Roman. Lieutenant Lapkin, um, yes, I'm going to give you some overall picture and I want to see if there's any, anything that's uh, causal effect by these things. You, back in, I believe it was August, you increased the foot beats from three days a week to every day. You also all um, were, got training so that you could do undercover in the clubs. And then the crimes went down from, pickpockets went from 126 down to 30. You just said that they went, went to 24. 24. It says 30 on our, uh, in, in the September report that I got here, but that's not the important part of this. Um, also, the calls for service went down, and they have been going down a little bit. From September, they were 1769, and I mean, from last month, they were 1769. They've gone down to 1603. However, the arrests for felonies went from 44 to 66, and the arrests for misdemeanors went from 77 to 167. So I'm trying to understand, and, and also there's one more piece of this. The uh, uh, response time has been going down, I mean has been going, has, is up from in this last few months. Is there any cause or links between all of these pieces? I'm just looking at, there must be some commonalities here because that's kind of unusual, some of these, these things that I'm seeing here. So one thing that I can talk to you about is the response times. Uh, the response times did increase and it could be because of the construction on Melrose. We've been using Santa Monica as a major thoroughfare. That was one of the things that our crime analyst thought that that's why the reasons were response times. As far as the other is, I couldn't tell you if there's a causal effect to what we're doing. I know that the, the foot beats, we change them based on what's happening. So we cut it down from every day, now we're doing them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, we change it from the east end to the west end. So it's basically on where our crimes are recurring, that's what we change it to. I know that there was a, a a spike in, in issues going on in the park. So we increase our footbeats in the park. So it, it varies based on, on a week to week what's happening. So I can't say for the whole month of September where our footbeats were. I have a report of that in, in the office, but it changes on a week to week basis based on what's occurring. 
So do we put them, we send them up on Sunset? Yes, we, they, have, they walk up in Sunset as well. Do they do the West End, the East End? It all depends on what the crime is going on. So I mean, to answer- but Why are you making there. so many more arrests now? That's, that's curious. That's, I mean, it's a double with a less calls for service. I, I'm just wondering if there's any correlation with any, any the footbeats or is there a way to tell? I could check based on observations whether they were the arrests were based on the overtime and the footbeats, but the arrests have, have increased because of the amazing job that the patrol deputies, including our cops EPT, are doing. They're out there trying, you know, doing their best that they could to try and arrest people that are committing crimes here in our area. And, and the um, patrol compliance is 106%. Can you explain to all of us what code, uh, patrol compliance, it's, it's gone up, it's over 100% over the past few months. What is that? The patrol compliance is based on minutes, on, on minutes that we are, so, so each of the patrol, let's say for an eight hour shift, they have 480 minutes. So the compliance, are we within, in the city, are we complying with the minutes that the city contracts for? We're over compliance, it could be because of the overtime that's in it as well, because we're in the city. So that's what the compliance is. Are we there to provide the minutes that we're getting, that we're providing for the city? So we try to keep it between, I think, 98 to 100% is where we should be at. And last, you, you've mentioned Estes, um, be, last meeting before this one and, the, and this one. Is there something significant about Estes, which are struggles? It's, are they going up? Are, are you noticing that kind of a thing going up or going down? The Estes are, are going up. Unfortunately, they are going up, and it's whether security is confronting the individual who's, who's taking whatever from the store. It could be from food product to hygiene product, whatever it is um, that the Estes is. It's whether security or staff or the employee at the, at the location is confronting the individual, and whether it be a shove, whether it be you know an actual um, somebody gets hurt, that's what an Estes is. Because once they, um, there is a struggle um, for, if I try to take an item away from you and you struggle with me, that's an Estes. Um, it's not a, a robbery and then you get away. Um, it's an Estes robbery. That's what that is. Okay, thank you. And the last thing is something for the data possibly. Um, the block by block are, they're putting their columns on city center for their calls for service. Their city center, mid and um, west. We, don't, we haven't done that. Um, that would be nice to see those equivalents, the calls for service, and you guys put those in the same sort of columns, break it down? We break it down based on... You did the percentages of the total. <coughs> okay, what is, from us, do you want... If it's not too hard, you know, put the numbers on east, west, and center. Just the calls? Yeah, the calls for service, because block by block does that exact thing. I will Just check... As, as a comparison, so we can um, compare those two. I can double check with my crime analyst to see if it's possible. Okay, thanks. I'm Commissioner Roman. Yes. Hi, Lieutenant uh, Lapkin. We used to get the police report every week, and uh, we don't get that anymore. Do you know why we stopped getting that? The Nixle report? I know that Brian, our crime analyst, sends it out every week. I get the Nixle. Um, it goes the last one we got was September 12th. So it, it happens all the time. I'll it's double like check. Yeah, it happens. Like it'll, we'll get it for a few weeks, and then it'll just stop coming for a few weeks, and then it'll come again, and then I'll email Mulder about it, and he'll say that the person that does it is on vacation. and um, So it's really important. Like I go off that report, I break it down, and then I send an email to council about it, 
And so I don't, the last one that I got was September 12th. I'll double check on that, but I know that uh, I if Brian's not here, then I mean, uh, our, I got him. Um, you sure? Yeah, this is the last one I got. Right yeah, here. I'll double check because I, I, I receive them, but I'll yeah. double check. I okay. mean, I'm not saying, I mean, maybe there's something going on with that, but I'll double check because he does send them out weekly. But if yeah. something is going on, then maybe we can, I could send them out myself. Maybe the alert, because and I think I've gone on Nix. If you go directly on Nixel. Got it. Yeah, I usually get it texted to me, and I haven't gotten it since September 12th. Okay. Um, so the foot patrol, what about the bike patrol? Have you guys ever figured that one out? The bikes have been ordered, but they have to get retrofitted with all of our stuff. So it, it's, I mean, we, it's... It, I, I you, you've been saying that literally for... Three months. Ye years, I think. They're, years. For with To me, Mulder's been telling me for years now that he's ordered them. And so I even offered to give them to you guys for free. So I don't know how complicated it is to order a bike, but it's really easy to do. And so um, to retrofit them, we retrofit them for the L.A., your, the police department all the time. We get the stuff put on it that they need. And... Um, I just think that it's I will telling. Find it. I will find it. I'll, I'll get an ETA and a specific yeah, and, date. And, the and, last you, and you should have electric bikes because biking yeah. up to Sunset Boulevard is not fun. So mm -hmm. you should have electric bikes. And also the foot patrol. I've lived in the city for 21 years. I've never seen a cop walking the beat, ever. I ask everybody to tell me, all the people that work at my company. So when you say that you have beat cops out walking, are they in Boys Town? Are they in the entertainment district on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, like walking along between Robertson and San Vicente? Because that's where they should be, and in the park as well. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they are on the West End? I've never seen them. I'm out all the time. So I, I've never seen them. I've never heard anybody tell me they've seen them. You said once that you saw them? Like by the bars, I've seen the team out. Um, maybe it'd be maybe we can step up the the patrols um, around La Cienega. I mean, it's just hours. yeah. There's a lot of pickpockets going on on the weekends in that little area right there. I think the help of the police presence and block by block all around there would really deter people from from pickpocketing. But um, I've just <laughs> I've never seen a cop walking around West Hollywood anywhere. I live on Laurel and Sunset. I work on La Cienega and Santa Monica. I bike all over the neighborhood. My son goes to school at whole, next to the Whole Foods. I've never seen a cop ever in my life walk, ever. So I really hope that they are out there. I've just never seen them. You know, also, um, Lieutenant Lapkin, with the beat patrol, it would be beneficial to the east side because the morning hours on uh, the La Brea corridor between Fountain and Santa Monica um, can be a little dicey. Uh, I know we had an individual last year who had set a fire in front of a business. Um, so I just think it would be beneficial in the early morning hours on the east side if we had you know some beat deputies walking. Okay, um, I can add that. Commissioner Seal. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Um, can we get just get a report moving forward of how many 
patrols are happening in what neighborhoods? I, I get them on a weekly basis. Um, okay. Can that be included in the weekly report that we get that uh, Commissioner Roman requested? Absolutely. I think that would be really helpful for us to see and then we can keep a, a sharp eye out. I haven't seen anyone either, but maybe that will help us. Um, and we did also get feedback in that nightlife safety meeting about additional presence late night um, right there in the Rainbow District and getting folks out there. So I don't, has that happened yet or is that going to happen or what's the... They're there. They're, they're mainly from Robertson to um, San, San Vic. And is it a certain time of the night or is it throughout? What's the... They vary. So some of them, I can't tell you the hours right now. Some of them start at 6 p.m. and they're here from 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Some of them start at 4 p.m. and at midnight. Okay. So, and, and then the report I get where, where they're working, what the hours are working. Great. Thank you. And then finally, can we see comparable numbers um, both for LA County for these reports so we can look at a year over year for all of LA and see what increases are aligned? A lot of times, you know, it's West Hollywood's this. If the numbers overall are aligned with West Hollywood and the nation, then I mean, LA and the nation, it gives us a better kind of um, understanding. I'm asking if we can have LA County report numbers for these crimes to match a report for West Hollywood. And I don't know if you can or not, but you can. I'll have to ask our, our, our crime analyst, to be honest, I'm not sure. Okay, thanks. And then Danny, I've asked for a year over year report a few times so we can get dating back to pre-pandemic so we can really get a much deeper dive on all of these. Is that still in the works? And, are, and I'm sorry, are you referring to the calls for service, part one crimes, part two crimes, or all the above? Um, part one and part two specifically. Yeah, yeah we, we do, that is in progress, um, actually presented some of that information at the last commission meeting. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely start including that as well um, in terms of what, what was reported, right, and what is reflected uh, pre-pandemic. So we actually went back to 2016, um, so 2016, 17, 18, um, 19, of course, right, leading up until this year. So it's just a lot of uh, manual data entry. But um, yeah, the, the goal is uh, by next commission meeting to have um, a new set of data that will have that. So, yeah. Thank you. Yep. Um, commissioners, any other questions for Lieutenant Lapkin? Uh, commission Secretary, do we have any public comments? No public comments in chambers. Um, and Chair, we do have um, a number of, of community members or, or callers that um, are in Zoom. Um, and I do see one of the hands is raised, so I will transfer over there and we'll start doing that right now. Thank you, Director Rivas. All right. Um, Yola Dore, if you could please um, unmute yourself and you'll have three minutes to speak. Uh, hi, my name is Yola Dore, West Hollywood. Good evening, uh, Chair, Commissioners, and honored guests. Uh, I just wanted to say a couple of words uh, about Disability Awareness Month, which now it is, and uh, the vaccination on the 20th at Great Hall Long Hall uh, patio there from 10 to 1, and also our televised on the 26th on Zoom. But the other thing I wish to speak to you about is um, I couldn't get into your meeting without some help tonight again. And um, I really am concerned about these bathrooms. I'm concerned for persons with disabilities. I cannot speak for everyone, but I can tell you it was problematic previously 
when people would go in the larger bathrooms and we had no place to go. So I don't know about the design, but I can tell you that I personally feel this issue should come before the Disabilities Advisory Board before it goes further. Uh, I thank you for your time, and uh, I appreciate all each and every one of you do in volunteering to participate for our city. Thanks. Um, thank you, Yola. I'm Director Rivas. Do we know um, our other callers that are waiting in queue? Are they waiting to speak on item 8B, the sheriff's report? Or are these individuals that possibly couldn't have gotten in earlier? Um, there's, there's no way of knowing without asking, so. Okay. Yeah. Would you like me to, to ask or to see if whoever else has called in, if, if they'd like to speak now at this, at this time? Yeah, how or, many individuals do we have in queue waiting? Uh, we have uh, three. Because I would say if they're not speaking on this item, they probably should wait and speak at the end during public comments. If it's a general or speak in front of the item that you know they're concerned about. Yeah. Could I clarify this, Chair? It's Stephanie Harker speaking. Good evening. Um, the the sync is off from the video that we're watching and the, um, the Zoom call. So what has happened was I sent the link that City finally sent me. I sent it around to people. They don't know at what point you are in the meeting. So you might want to clarify that and also ask them if they could stay and to uh, raise their hand when, they, uh, when the item comes up. Mostly it's the gender neutral bathrooms item. Thank you. Okay, got an understanding. We are presently on item 8B, which is our sheriff's report. We have not gotten to the gender neutral bathroom item. That will be later in the meeting. So the individuals that want to speak on that item um, should speak at that time. Um, I think we're finished, Lieutenant Lappin. Good to see you. Uh, item 8C is our monthly report from our block-by-block -block security ambassadors. Um, Shib, we can't hear you. I'm oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, thank okay. you. So, um, good evening, Chair, Vice Chair, uh, Commissioners, and City Staff. Shea Gibson, Block by Block, I'm here to give the September report. Um, in September, um, our guys and gals have basically uh, been uh, maintaining um, the things that they do month in and month out. Um, our main focus, uh, mainly for, for September, was the hiring and recruitment for the 30 uh, ambassadors uh, who would uh, be on foot patrol starting October 1st. Um, so the whole month was dedicated to hiring uh, um, 
processing, um, onboarding, and then training, and then of course uh, getting acclimated to the area. Um, so we have launched um, since October 1st. Um, we have placed a new kiosk out at the Ramada. Um, it has uh, been receiving a lot of visitors, which is good. Um, and I think uh, from some of the residents' response, uh, they're happy to see us uh, more on the west side um, uh, since October 1st. Um, so basically, that's really, really the gist of, the, of uh, everything that's been going on with us uh, over at Block by Block. We've definitely just been trying to get this. Uh, it hasn't been easy, but we've definitely been trying to uh, rally up the troops so that we would be ready for this launch. Any questions in regards? Um, have you completed um, the hiring? Yes. Yes, we have completed the hiring. Um, I'm constantly hiring, though, um, constantly. Um, you do have uh, individuals that will come um, and think it's a certain type of, have a security background and think that it's a certain type of security job, but it's, it's a little bit different than that. It's a lot different than that, actually. We're not sitting around. We don't have a lot of posts. Uh, we're not uh, uh, opening up gates and, and doors and things of that nature. We're patrolling the entire district um, and trying to see to uh, the safety as best as we po as best as we possibly can. Okay. So, to, to your to your to your uh, uh, question, yes, we have reached the goal, um, but I will continue to to hire to try to make sure that I have the best possible people out there in the field. You could possibly also benefit from electric bikes as well, couldn't you? Yeah, well, we actually have two electric bikes that we picked up from Danny. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Commissioner Reeves. <laughs> um, I have some questions for you. So uh, when you guys are hiring, I, I think that hiring from within, hiring people in West Hollywood that live here, even people that might you know, be older and just looking for a job and want something to do, there's a security guy that works in Sprouts he amazing like he's friendly with everybody he patrols really well he's great he's probably like in his 70s and he's amazing he's a local we we hoen so i don't know if there's a way for you to like directly advertise and hire people that live in our city i think that would be amazing if we could do maybe the neighborhood watch community people that somebody there is looking for a job also um so i i think that that would be a great start for you guys and then the kiosk that's out at the Ramada, I think that it may have been needed there before when the Starbucks was open, but now that the Starbucks is not open, that area is kind of dead right now. So I don't know if there can be a better place for, for it than, than that corner. I know that back in the day, it used to be a hot spot, but that Starbucks is not there and nobody's really congregating there anymore. So something to think about. And, um, Yeah, no, that's all I've got. So we definitely uh, uh, try to hire from within as far as uh, in the city of West Hollywood. Um, whoever comes to apply and can actually do the job, um, I have no problem uh, bringing on. So if this particular individual um, is fantastic, I would like to yeah. meet this person. That yeah. would be great. Um, we can look at uh, a, um, a different placement as far as the kiosk goes um, on that, but I, I'm sure we want to keep it in the same uh, corridor or the same block as the Ramada. Um, hmm. But we can uh, look at a different uh, different placement in that in that section. Yeah, and also uh, you can I don't know if you work with those veteran companies, but they email us all the time. I'll forward you their email. But hiring veterans would be a great way to go as well. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.
Uh, Vice Chair. Um, so I wanted to ask, how long does the training take? Because I've noticed quite a few ambassador and training folks out and about doubled up. So I'm just curious, how long does that take? Uh, typically, training can take about two weeks. Some of the time, some of the ambassador and training that you see, um, their guard certification hasn't necessarily came in yet. It may okay. be on um, on standby or on hold or or in the process of coming, and that's that's where that's why you're seeing that. Okay, um, and I agree with Commissioner Roman that the Starbucks on the corner may not be the right spot, but there's the bank there and there's the people who are coming out of the Ramada on a regular basis, so it might be good to just shift it a little bit down the block. Um, and the only other question I have about that is, the hours seem a little funny to me because I see a lot of people walking around in the mornings and the evenings, and that one's daytime. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest looking at the hours just to see how that's going. Okay. Um, I've noticed a lot more people walking around um, from the ambassador's program as I do my walking. I'm curious, how is it changing your reporting and the observations they have and the interactions they have with whether it be the sheriff or the city on things they're finding, whether it's code compliance issues or anything that they report to the sheriff? Are you seeing an uptick in that or is it just, you know, you're 10 days in so it's a little too early to tell? Yes, exactly that. So it's a little bit too early to tell. Um, you know, some of them are still green. Um, so some of them are, are, are uh, may not uh, really recognize what they're seeing just yet, um, but uh, I, I don't see that there's going to be too much different in correlation as far as as far as that goes. Okay, and I do want to mention that they are very friendly. They say hello to everyone that they see. Generally speaking, um, they stop. They ask you how you're doing, how your morning's going. So um, it's nice to see people out and about. Fantastic, fantastic. I hope that's making uh, everyone feel a little bit, a bit better about about uh, the program and, and 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 us being on the west side. How is it going in the parks? I know you are now managing the city parks, correct? Correct. Correct. So um, the parks are going going fine. Um, the, the things ebbs and ebbs and flows in the parks, just like everywhere else. Um, I know there has been mention as far as WeHo Park about the ambassadors gathering around the kiosk. Um, I don't know exactly what time um, people are seeing this, but they do uh, change, happen to change shifts. So there's typically not uh, four or five ambassadors at the park at the same time anyway. So if that's happening, that's probably what's going on uh, during that time. Um, but as far as the conditions of the park, um, things have been things have been well. Things have been well. Um, I know for a fact, since I've been uh, visiting WeHo Park since we first uh, got over there, um, there was pretty much uh, unhoused persons scattered about everywhere. Um, now it's, it's, it's not the same. Uh, it looks a little bit different. You still have um, um, unhoused persons who will, you know, lay at the park and things like that, but uh, most of the alcohol bottles and things that you were seeing beforehand, uh, which kind of made it pretty much uncomfortable to even use the restroom, uh, the exterior restroom over there. Uh, I don't see that anymore. Thank you. So the, the unhoused people that are in the park, so there's like WeHoville stories about pictures of the security ambassadors with like unhoused people passed out and you know, what are they doing? They can't do anything. So just to be clear, you can't kick them out. They're not doing anything wrong. They can be there. If they're drinking alcohol, you could tell them to throw the alcohol away or they're smoking cigarettes or doing drugs, 
you can tell them to stop, but you can't just go up to unhoused people and tell them to get out of the park. This is correct. Yeah. So these articles that are coming out um, are just false and, and it's just like misleading and, and, uh, and dangerous. So, Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <clears throat> and quick question. Um, would you be able to add that, uh, that McDonald's to the regular route for a while just to... Absolutely. I mean, we get several calls from McDonald's throughout the day. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Especially at night, like as people are drunk and come in there and hanging out in the parking lot. Absolutely. Cool. McDonald's needs to hire their own security. That would alleviate this yes, problem. Yes, yeah. they do. In I live a block from there. They need to take some ownership yeah, um, totally. to their property. Um, Commissioner Steele, did you have questions? Yes, I just want to agree with what you just said. I think a lot of times we, uh, you know, offer up the sheriff's time, we offer up block by block time without maybe doing kind of that research on what is, what is, what are we calling for with code compliance and what do these businesses need to be providing? And I think it's a McDonald's. They need to be able to provide security. And I don't know that that's, there's folks coming in and out that's right on the edge there. So I don't know how much of that is we owe traffic, but it affects our residents. And I just think they need to um, pony up. So whatever the best way is to have that conversation in terms of um, compliance and enforcement. Um, uh, in terms of the Narcan, um, I know Commissioner Oliver brought up the Narcan distribution being offered by Block by Block, which I thought was brilliant then. I know we've touched on it since. And my question is, where are we with that? I know that you said it was part of the training for all Block by Block, but you were working on getting it. Is that still happening? Can we have yeah, an so we actually have it. Hey. We actually have it. Um, I haven't released it to the public just yet, but we actually have it. Um, uh, they have completed a Narcan training. Um, so um, probably starting this week, um, they'll start to carry it on them. We've got to get you a PR team. Okay, that's amazing. Thank you. I guess, uh, so Danny, are these things that are going to be going back to council? I'm assuming, obviously, the information will get to council, but I think these are two giant things that have been kind of we're waiting on in terms of the hiring. There's been a lot of public conversation around the hiring. That's complete. That feels like something that should be talked about in whatever space makes sense. And then specifically, that block by block is now offering Narcan when you're ready for that release date. I think it would be really important for the city to market and let the public know this is another great resource to utilize. Our officers have this training. Our block by block has this training. This is a mechanism of saving lives. So I'd love to see um, them drive communications to get a marketing piece attached to that. Yeah, absolutely, it's Commissioner possible. Still. Yeah, so the last um, council meeting, we actually provided a comprehensive update to the city council. Um, the staff report uh, detailed uh, more or less where uh, block by block uh, was at. At that time, it did outline uh, everything that you're mentioning uh, from Narcan to training um, to the implementation, which uh, as Shay had mentioned is October 1st. Um, so all of that uh, was anticipated to be in place by then. Um, what we also did is we hired a consulting um, communications firm to help um, uh, kind of market, right, and do an educational campaign in the community. And the plan is to return back to the city council, um, you know, whether it's the beginning of the year or at the end of this calendar year with an additional update um, to discuss, you know, public safety as a whole. But we'll definitely uh, detail and update information as it relates to the expansion of the program at that time too. 
Thank you. I think I missed that timing in the uh, in the council report, and I'm thrilled about the marketing. As you know, I've been pushing for this for years. Um, we need it desperately, so I'm over the moon to hear about that and look forward to seeing what that um, actions, because what happens is these things get pushed forward, and then there's no plan attached to that, right? And that's not to say they don't want one. There's no timeline. There's no marketing plan, and then it falls to the wayside, and we're a year later asking where things are that could be marketed and could save lives immediately. Um, the final thing that I had was I just wanted to add, well, two things, excuse me. One um, is if we could get time blocks. I know I was asking uh, Lieutenant Lapkin about the time frames for some of these things. I think having, uh, again, a breakdown, and I know there's a lot to kind of collate, but looking at where these time crimes are happening and the time frames to Vice Chair Balbone's point will help us use these service providers in a better way. If we know that you know the daylight hours aren't working, but from four to seven, we've got a spike, these are adjustments that can be made, but we need to have the information from these resources um, I hate to put more on your plate, Danny, but however we can build towards that for you know the next few months to getting that, it will help us drive these conversations of when we're launching programs to know the best time. We learned from Nightlife that they need folks there at 2.30 a.m. I know we just heard a shift of 6 to 2. Do we have a robust team at 2.30 or if not, let's get that. But we've had the information for a few months, and I think it doesn't always get kind of... Um, Action. And then the final piece I had was we talked a little bit about your LGBTQ plus training. I had asked what the training is for Block by Block. Um, and I'll ask you the same question that I asked our other um, contracted writer, which is, um, can you find out if Block by Block is willing to um, either share your training and or meet with LGBTQ leaders to build a more robust training. I know we're looking into some resource stuff for the city, but um, we really need it to be West Hollywood-centric. We really need understanding. I have experienced um, some folks that were a little more uncomfortable, um, but again, I spent a lot of my time in the queer community, so I would probably see that more closely. Um, so I'd like to make sure that we're having some cultural competency training for folks that are coming on. Um, I always see them training. I always see them walking. I love how much training they're doing. I just want to make sure specifically that we've got some competency in that area um, so that when I see the folks that are on the um the bus, the the bus there the, the, that thank you, got the trolley, thank you. That we've got folks that are like a little bit more, you know, willing to be there kind of thing. So again, um, these are things we can build, but I'd love to have a deeper dialogue about that. So if you can ask those questions, if we can see a copy of the LGBT training, if you can talk about that, if they're willing to meet with leaders and get some resource uh, that the city drives from a city perspective, that would help all of our service providers, I feel. Absolutely. I'll definitely look into that. Thank you. Um, commissioners, any additional? Commissioner Berger. Um, Shay. A while back, you guys, um, you, you said one of the big problems that you have is that people don't really understand what you guys do, and they think you're cops. Is, it, has that improved? We want to get the word out more. Has that improved at all, or is it still out there in the community that people... It has improved to a degree, but there's still uh, a lot of people who call us um, for situations that they really should be calling the sheriffs for. Um, so that's that's still pretty pretty uh, prevalent. So you can't you can't enforce people laying in the street. You can't do any of that. You can't even make citizens arrests, right? Well, we can make a citizen arrest, yes, but um, that's that's nothing something that we don't foc we don't focus on that. Um, but we can make a citizen arrest like any other citizen um, can make. Oh, okay, because that came up in the pickpocket. Uh, when Adam came, he wanted to know why you guys don't make citizens arrest. Well, um, that's, that's, that's not really in our, our uh, 
uh, SOP, but we, we can't do it like, like uh, any other person. Okay, and then um, two more. The, um, what does it mean, you, here's some of the stats from last month and this month. Assisting sheriffs and fire, you went from, on the east side, you went from four down to three, and then on the city center, you went from one down to zero, and then from the west side, you went from zero to zero. What are those assist fire department and the LASD? Um, anytime um, we are uh, asked to stand by uh, a certain situation, for instance, if it's a, a, a possible fire that they put out and it may be a transient presence uh, that's coming in and out, we may be asked to stand by to, to monitor that situation. Or um, as far as the uh, sheriffs go, um, whenever we're calling them out, um, it's, it's kind of like the same, same thing. If, whatever assistance they're asking us for, um, that's what that is. Okay, and the last one is the scooters went down. I'm glad you guys started that. Um, you're, you're moving the scooters went from 213 to, and 171, both down, went down, and 171 to 154. Um, have you noticed, and maybe uh, Danny, you can notice this too, um, if ABM's numbers are going down on the scooters, does it seem like people are putting the scooters away more, or? So what I have noticed is that even with the bikes, so there's, a, there's other like line bikes or the things that's out, I have noticed that they're kind of lined up a little bit more neater now on the street, um, going down Santa Monica Boulevard. You still have your you know, few scooters and bikes that are dislodged or, and or knocked over, but I have seen a, a change as far as um, how they look uh, on the street. Yeah, I, I have kind of noticed that, but maybe Danny can speak to that when, if that comes on, about ABM and the scooters, how that's going. Okay, thanks, Shay. Thank you. Um, any other commissioner questions? All right, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you all. Um, moving on, our next agenda item um, is... Chair? I Chair, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we actually have... Uh, public comments. Yes, we... we sorry, my that. apologies. It's okay. Um, Stephanie Harker, you have your hand raised. If you wish to speak on this item, please unmute. You have three minutes. I do. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Chair Holman. Um, you um, know, apologies, Stephanie. Before you start, um, Shay, we might need you back in the box. I'm sorry. I think we have um, a question. Is this block by block related, Stephanie? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm um, just waiting for Shay to come back. My apologies, I skipped over public comments. I think that was Shane come back, wasn't it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, um, thank you, go ahead. First of all, I've always been a champion of block by block. I'm glad they're there. I was glad in the beginning when they arrived. Happy that there's more of them there. My concerns are actually for the block by block um, ambassadors themselves. I think that at one point MACE was, was um, considered. I'm wondering if that's still on the table. Um, you know, we send out our sheriffs with uh, bulletproof vests and, and a gun and a, a nightstick and, and whatever, a taser. Um, I really feel like the ambassadors who are doing a good job are putting their lives online with not much to protect themselves. Um, it concerns me. I was at an re outdoor restaurant down near Santa Monica La Brea and it took two um, staff members from the restaurant to stop 
a violent thing from happening. Um, the uh, person on the street was trying to throw a metal chair at the guests at the restaurant, and there was no one around. And uh, again, I, I feel that safety for the ambassadors is also paramount, and I hope that is being looked into and, and I kept on it before something happens to one of them because they happen to be standing at the kiosk and have a uniform on. Thank you. Um, did you have a comment or? Um, I, so if, if we were at one point in time using um, um, pepper spray or anything like that, I, it hasn't been since I've been here, so I'm not familiar with that. Um, but uh, I do understand and, and, and I also share concerns uh, for my guys as well. Um, we deal with a lot of stuff, but we don't typically respond to violent situations. Hearing, just oh. like we get with the sheriff, monthly reports, fire department block by block is 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 that what i'm hearing or well just i'm thinking more special meetings um so we have that opportunity to recap um you know yeah. that we do have a special meeting yeah so then something that during items from commissioners that would be the appropriate area for you to add uh, if you want to add that item to the next month's agenda um uh, commissioner still or any of the other commissioners can certainly make that um, bring that uh, issue up and saying that they would like to add that item to the next agenda so that you could have a discussion and as long as there's consensus then we can add it to next month's agenda. Okay. Would it be, would it fit under items from staff? Could he just kind of do that when in items for staff that we could still discuss it? So kind of keep us abreast of these various issues, not even just the special meetings, but ones that are really on our radar. Yeah, absolutely. Can certainly can certainly do that. And and as the uh, two representatives, Commissioner Steele and Vice Chair Balbone, um, you know, items from commissioners also involve the commissioners who are attending these meetings to also share and provide that information. I mean, I'm happy to do it, and that's not a problem. Um, but you can also do it from that perspective as well. But if you want to dedicate a debriefing discussion, like we did with pickpocketing then that needs to come during items from commissioners so that we could place it formally on the agenda. But unless you're okay with what Commissioner Berger had mentioned, that it's um, not on the agenda, but it's more of an update. Um, but I get the sense that you want to have the debrief on the agenda itself and have a discussion about yeah, it. Yeah, I so. would agree. I think, you know, it should be on the agenda. I'd like to cover it tonight a little bit in the commission work plan because it's been on that commission work plan since last year. All right, well, are we um, finished with request tracking and commissioner calendar? All right, the next is our commission work plan. Um, commissioners, do any commissioners have questions for our staff liaisons on our work plan? I, I, have, I have one. I have an item that I would like to propose to put on the work plan that we could discuss. It might even go on the agenda. It comes with um, what our purview is as a commission, which is to assess, monitor our levels of service. And it has to do with um, what we see happening with the customer service. For example, um, Danny said, I've never seen the cops doing the footbeat. I have seen, um, I have been out with the cops and we go on a call and the people aren't there. 
and then they say the cops didn't show up because we we didn't they didn't see us we were looking all around for the vic the the person you know so what i wanted to put on the work plan is for us to discuss a way that will sort of monitor that like um is there a way that you can I, you can verify that the cops were there did they go into danny's shop did they go in and, and is there a way that the cops can put something on their phone and say okay i went there here's you know or i went uh can we verify that they did the cops did show up to the to the customer who's called the cops can they send a call back to them like where are you um thanks this is from the lasd or whatever that sort of customer service um, focus, I think, would be a really good discussion that, um, that really falls under our purview, and I don't think it's being done by any other sort of bodies, and, and our body is the one that's supposed to be doing that, and I don't think we're doing it. Okay, any other commissioner comments? on our work plan. So I want to go back to, um, yes, and I want to go back to the items listed on the work plan related to the special study sessions. Um, these were from September of last year, and it says to establish a subcommittee and report on outreach campaigns. Um, we had the sessions, we talked about the outcomes, we talked about uh, a campaign, an awareness campaign, we talked about scheduling the next distribution of the um, drink testing strips. I'd like to see us document that. And I don't see a spot on the work plan for that, so to your point, we know we have that. Can we just put a spot in the work plan to capture that and update the work plan as we go? just seems a little stale right now. So that's what I'm thinking on that item. And on that item, I think, I do think having the sexual assault and nightlife safety as a permanent agenda item, if the, there's a consensus, would make sense because it's, it, you know, we're almost a year from the first time we asked for these reports and now it's going to go back to council again in December. And what's going to go back to council again in December are a list of notes and questions and a myriad of action items, none of which have been flown through the bodies, none of which have kind of a clear, concise plan attached to them. And it's a year. It's a year. And we're talking about a year for prevention of assault. We're talking about a year for survivors who need care and attention. And it's literally on our work plan to assist these enforcement agencies with vulnerable populations. That includes our transgender community. That includes folks that are vulnerable. That includes survivors. These are pieces of what this body is supposed to do. So if it is good for the body, I would love to include it on the agenda as some, I forget who suggested it. Maybe it was Danny or maybe it was the chair. Um, if that can be an item, I don't know if that makes sense for you all, but we're Are just not moving forward. Are you saying on each month's agenda? Mm -hmm. So, Director Rivas, would we not need a motion for that to happen? In terms of having that item listed every month, like we do with the sheriffs Correct. and fire and block by block, um, if that's the will of the commission, um, then absolutely. Um, I mean, I know that uh, the information in terms of the notes did go out as Commissioner Steele and, and Vice Chair Bone have, 
recipients of that because um, they would participated in it. And the goal, my understanding, is a report's going to be going back to the city council um, either the second meeting in November or maybe even in December. Um, so there really won't be, um, I mean, I think having a discussion um, and having it on the agenda uh, next month um, makes sense because you know, the commission has not had an opportunity to kind of debrief on that. Um, and But placing it on the agenda in December when more than likely it would have already gone to city council um, or it has not yet gone to city council, it's completely the will of, of the commission, but you might have um, you know, the item on the agenda and there's no updates and, and maybe that's okay so that it doesn't get forgotten um, to Commissioner Steele's point. Um, or we could add it to the to the work plan. And I think two of the suggestions I wanted to make for the work plan, because I know we've kind of kicked the can down the road a couple of times while we've discussed it, is uh, circulating uh, this document to the commission um, in word form and asking for your input um, and feedback on that so that we're capturing Commissioner Berger, Commissioner Steele, and any other commissioners in terms of where you think what category could be listed at. And then at our next uh, commission meeting, right, we can dive a little deeper into that and kind of giving me also an opportunity to kind of go through these that have been in place for some time and getting some updates. And maybe there's some things that need to be removed and maybe there's obviously things that need to be added, so. Okay, so we need a consensus. Um, commissioners, are we all in agreement that it can be added to our November agenda? Yeah. Yes. yeah. We okay. can try it. Sure. Thank you, yeah. Director Rivas. Mm -hmm. Anything else uh, we need to go over regarding our work plan? Okay, moving on to item 9A, new business. Uh, the West Hollywood Homeless Initiative 2022 update. Uh, the West Hollywood Homeless Initiative update on the five-year plan to address homelessness um, will be given by the city's strategic initiative staff, and they will provide us with an update. Good evening. Good evening, Chair. Uh, good evening, Chair, Vice Chair, and Commissioners. Uh, my name is Corey Plank. I'm the manager of the City's Strategic Initiatives Division. We're going to provide you with a very quick overview of the City's Homeless Initiative, um, and um, then we will transition into a focused conversation with some questions related to the uh, proposed interim housing program at the Holloway Motel. Um, and actually, uh, Danny, I'm not gonna go ahead with the video, so I'm, we're gonna just try to move through this a little bit more quickly. Um, so in your packets was the, um, the 2022 annual update on the city's homeless initiative and the progress toward the goals in the five-year plan. And there was significant progress made on uh, several of the goals, but what we're gonna focus on tonight are the four that are listed here in the, in the progress report. So in the first goal, um, related to the hallway uh, project is the goal is to establish bridge housing and day center facilities in West Hollywood to serve people who are homeless in the city. In May, well in July, um, in May we received a conditional grant award. In July it was um, finalized. Um, a six million dollar grant from the state of California Housing and Community Development Department as a project home key grant for the city that can be used for capital and operations for the conversion of motels into interim housing programs. And at this, in the same uh, 
In the same time frame, the city has been moving towards the purchase of, of that property, again, for use for interim housing program. And just for to make sure everybody's on the same page, interim housing programs, as they operate now with the city's contract with Essentia and as our planned operations will be, is a 30 to 90 day stay. I know there's been some confusion out there about what that really is. It's a 30 to 90 day stay where people are getting the care that they need and having opportunities to pursue employment, to pursue any health or mental health care, and to pursue housing. And so this is a, a, an opportunity for people to get off the streets, to be safe, and to pursue their permanent housing. The next goal was to um, prevent homelessness among West Hollywood residents, especially seniors, individuals living with disabilities and vulnerable families. And um, we're very excited. Um, over the last year, the city launched our first guaranteed income pilot program. And that pro pilot program um, is the first in the nation that focuses on older adults. That program will pro provide $1,000 a month to 25 individuals in West Hollywood um, for 18 months. And so that program has launched. The first payments went out at the end of August. And so we're very excited to see what the results, um, the, there is an evaluation and research component related to that through the Center for Guaranteed Income Research at the University of Pennsylvania. And this is uh, really something that we're looking at as a method to increase financial stability, but also to prevent homelessness. And we have also a goal of supporting businesses and residents and responding appropriately, safely, and effectively to persons experiencing homelessness in West Hollywood. And as some of you know, and we've presented to this commission previously, we are in the development phase of a West Hollywood care team that will be a mobile crisis response unit that is focused on behavioral health and will provide another first responder unit in the city um, that would respond in the same way that the sheriff and fire do with an immediate response to behavioral health crises with the goal of having 24-7 coverage with that team. And then finally, um, Looking at, uh, and I think social services may have presented to you and they presented to the city council, um, they have done a, um, an analysis of service provision through the social services contracts to community members of color, and they've made recommendations to increase access and awareness of the available services. And that was also included in the social services RFP uh, during this funding cycle and informed the selection and the um, distribution of social services funds for this contract for this funding cycle. Um, in the report that you have, it's a pretty comprehensive report, but um, at the time that it was created, there was some information we didn't yet have. Last month, we got the um, numbers from LASA for the annual point in time count. Um, that count was conducted in February of 2022. That's a little bit different than when we usually do it. Uh, the count's usually conducted the last Thursday in January um, for West Hollywood for our um, metro region. Uh, the count happened last in 2020. It didn't happen in 2021 because of COVID, um, and it was pushed back uh, this year by a month because of the Omicron and Delta variants that were impacting um, the ability to do that safely. So in um, our 2020 count, in January 2020, the count was 112, and the count for 2022 was 40. This represents a significant decrease. And I know that some people don't feel that that's what they see or experience in the city. And I would say this is a point in time count. And so is our monthly count. Um, but that number does align with the monthly count that Essencia does the last Friday of every month from 5 to 7 a.m. to see kind of who actually really spent the night here um, to get that count. So there is alignment there. 
And what I would also note is that this count is the first time we've had a count where we had two years, nearly two years, of homeless prevention efforts that were funded at levels that we had not seen previously. So that means rental assistance provided at the city level, um, almost $2 million to date in rental assistance, uh, rental assistance available from the county and the state. Um, and so we never have had that level of investment in homeless prevention in the form of rental assistance. There was also eviction moratoriums that were in place, um, both at the city, county, and state level. And so that is certainly an impact and a factor in what we're seeing. So what we had constantly been up against is housing people, housing people, and having more people fall into homelessness, and having this kind of concentrated effort at homeless prevention, um, we think really made uh, a, a significant difference. In addition, I just want to note that the, um, the contracted agencies that the city funds um, track their, their housing placements, um, and over this last contract cycle, they have housed 141 individuals from October 2019 through July 2022. And that is also impressive in any time period, but it is significantly more impressive to do that during COVID when it was really challenging to even go look at apartments or to um, make appointments with different agencies to receive vouchers or other housing resources. Um, so I... Um, there's lots of information in the report. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have, and I want to make sure that we have time to um, talk through our, question, our kind of focus group questions. Um, so uh, I want to also introduce Abby Arnold, um, who is our consultant on this and many projects related to homelessness and other issues in the city. Um, Abby was a key um, was a key staff, a key consultant in our in the creation of our five-year plan, um, and so we're very excited to have her here. Um, to help us with the um, implementation of that plan and to realize a significant uh, goal of the plan in the Holloway. So I will defer to you, Chair, if you want to have questions on the report or if we can move into the focus group discussion. Um, I think we can move into the focus group discussion, yes. Perfect. With that, I'll turn it over to Abby. Thank you so much and good evening to the chair of the commission, vice chair, and all the commissioners. It's good to meet you and in person and good to see those of you who we've seen in previous discussions about this project. Our goal tonight is to use the commission as a kind of a focus group to, to get your, um, so your feedback and questions and really your, your thoughts um, to, so that we can understand the concerns and questions that the community has about the implementation of the Holloway Motel plan, and also to help us um, to, to come up with solutions, including how various city staff, commissions, and community members can contribute to the success of the Hollywood, of the Hollywood Holloway uh, project. Um, and so, um, We'd like to just ha open the floor. Perhaps the chair can call on people individually. And we have three questions that we'd like you to address. Um, it, these questions are really just to spark the discussion. But what, I, what I'm coming out with is some, um, I'll take notes about what are your hopes and concerns regarding the Holloway Project as they relate to the work of the commission. Um, the second question is, how do you see the commission engaging with and supporting this project? 
And the third is, what are ways that you think the community at large can contribute to the success of this project? And what are your best ideas on how to engage them? Um, and so I'm, I'm happy to answer questions and give you ideas about what has happened in other places, but really this is about getting feedback from you tonight. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll start. I did have a question, and this came up on the Holloway Motel Zoom meeting, staffing. People were very concerned, or residents were concerned, that the facility was going to be understaffed. Um, can you share how staffing is going to be handled? So, do you want to take it, Corey? Sorry, I'll take a first pass, uh, Chair. Um, I think there was some confusion actually in the call about the staffing level. So there is a plan, um, well, there is a plan for us to have a plan. Um, we are engaging in these conversations and having um, multiple focus groups and multiple community conversations about this to inform what the operations plan, the program plan, and the safety plan for the Holloway. Um, there will be staff on site. Um, as the Essencia um, leadership has indicated, they will be awake staff, so not people that are just there 20, you know, overnight sleeping, but awake staff on site. Um, we will have appropriate staffing ratios, um, and there will be, uh, there is a plan, uh, conversations about security. We know safety has come up. We knew safety would be a, a concern of those in the community about this location. Um, and we also want to make sure that the people who are staying in this location are, are safe. And so we want to, you know, look at all of those things, but there will be um, appropriate, there will definitely be appropriate staffing and security at the location. Great, thank you. Um, commissioners, so, comments, yeah, questions? I have a question. So, um, will we prioritize Weehoans that are experiencing homelessness? So, somebody lives in West Hollywood, they're getting evicted, they lost their job, they're on drugs, and they need help. Like, would they get prioritized to go into this Holloway house, or will these people just randomly be coming from all over L.A.? <clears throat> Um, the teams currently um, engage in outreach in the city. Um, our teams that are contracted focus on West Hollywood community members. So they engage in outreach, um, they do assessments. There's an assessment that's required um, through the Coordinated Entry System, or CES. Um, they complete that assessment, they make a determination. If interim housing is the right fit for that person, then they would move, they would move on into that process. And you know, if, when the Holloway's open, we will have those opportunities. Um, the, Prioritization in terms of permanent housing after that is really subject to the CES system, um, but we are looking forward to having about 49 units of permanent supportive housing coming online in 2024, and so we hope our pipeline will be, you know, from Holloway into those permanent housing units. There are um, some challenges around local preference, um, but we think that we have some uh, systems in place and appropriate funding in place to allow us to do the work to address community members that are in West Hollywood. Um, I have another question. Um, this is transitional housing, right? Not long-term stay for individuals? It's, it's considered interim housing. Interim so again, housing, thank 30, you. 30 to 90 day stays typically. Um, has there ever been a discussion? Well, many years ago, I was a buddy with APLA and we were each paired with an individual that was living with AIDS or 
you know, experiencing issues as a result of AIDS. And we were their support system. Um, I would think moving these individuals past the Holloway House, it could be beneficial if there was a support person. So is there a way that a program can be developed? Because I will tell you, at that time, the APLA buddy training was incredibly comprehensive. And I've taken a lot of things that I learned at that time forward in business. Thank you so much for that comment. That's, it's really, really helpful. I was actually the director of a, an HIV support agency back in those days too. And um, that is a model that uh, no one has come up with recently, but um, at least in this context, but it's, uh, it's a really good idea. And um, I, there are variations on that model. Um, for example, Essencia, who's our, our nonprofit partner, has um, a lot of, um, they have a, a guest chef program where community people bring food and, and eat meals with the people who are staying at the facility in Glendale. Um, but I think that APLA uh, buddy model might be something we should look at seriously for here. Um, it, and it could be a way to get residents involved yes. in the city. Um, and give them a more intimate purview of the program, how it's working, the individuals that are there. So I would love to see that happen because, you know, my buddy group, you train with the group and then they would split you depending on what area you lived in. Um, that would be your monthly support group, but we had such a bond that we stayed together. Everyone went out of their way. We'll meet wherever so we could do that. So I think it should be something that uh, should be considered. Thank you. Uh, commissioners? Commissioner uh, Oliver. Yes. I have a, a couple questions. Thank you uh, for being here and for presenting. Um, are there any, like, my understanding is that there are some ex um, existing long-term residents in the, in the hotel itself. Um, they will be displaced by this project. Um, what's the plan for those residents? Because I imagine that's going to be hard to compare what they're paying now to market rents. Um, at this time, there's, there's one person that's on site. Um, and that's because it's a motel and not a rent stabilized unit. They're not subject to the same relocation um, process. But um, we hope that the owners will also you know, work with this individual. And beyond that, I think some of that information would be um, held confidential for, for sure. that individual, um, but we don't have a lot of people that are at the location currently. If they're not able to get into the, the next housing situation themselves, um, would they be eligible to for this housing, hopefully front of the line? Without an assessment, I couldn't accurately answer that for you tonight, but okay. you know, we will certainly, we're aware um, of the situation and we will certainly be as supportive as we can be um, within what is allowed by the criteria for the different programs. And without having an assessment, I can't answer that. And then, um, just a couple more questions. Um, what's the target demographic? Is, it, is there a specific need that this project is to fill? So as we designed the project, we looked at the demographic data that we've collected over the years. Uh, we, we've done a, a, 
West Hollywood specific demographic study um, over the years, uh, parallel to the one that, that LASA does every year. In addition to the count, which is just a head count, um, they actually do in-depth in um, uh, interviews with, with folks. And uh, we, when years ago, we looked at the data that LASA was coming up with, and it didn't reflect West Hollywood at all. So we started doing annual surveys of people, which unfortunately ended with the pandemic. But um, our uh, demographic is um, people between uh, 25 and, uh, and older, mostly LGBT, and... Um, people and mostly uh, single or in a couple um, and people who are here in West Hollywood and who have come to West Hollywood because they're seeking safety. It's actually one of the things that appeal, that made our proposal be uh, uh, considered and funded was that we were looking at a special population of people who um, aren't going to be, aren't feeling safe to go to other places and wanted to stay in the West Hollywood community. So the LGBTQ population is our target. Um, I would just add one note too that we also have a higher percentage of people living with HIV than the county um, unhoused population, um, and that our demographics in the last um, study were I think 2019, um, we showed a larger percentage of people of color experiencing homelessness in West Hollywood than our housed population. Um, so we're really looking at some people who have also significant experiences of trauma and abuse. And as we kind of anecdotally know that, you know, a lot of LGBT folks and particularly younger people come here um, after they have been um, kicked out of their homes um, and have been or experiencing unsafe situations in their homes. And so um, this does not replace the program that we have at the LGBT center for, for young adults. Um, we will still retain the services and the beds that we have there, but this will give us double the adult beds that we currently have. And so that's what our hope is that we can serve even more of those folks. And then I think in my conversations in the community, my last question, um, security and, and management, that's the thing that comes up a lot. Um, is there a plan in part to protect the people staying there, in part to uh, ensure it's successful and doesn't you know, create um, a focal point you know, in the community that people are, are pointing at, perhaps, and this is a question, also maybe a suggestion, is um, security for the block around it. It's a small triangle or square there. Um, and I know there are the businesses in the area right now are experiencing kind of um, issues with, with people who are either intoxicated or, or um, experiencing some mental health, untreated mental health um, issues. Um, to, to prevent, you know, the um, project from also being the blamed, I guess, for anything that happens in the area. Um, is there the possibility of, of um, securing, doing security for the block around it? It's certainly something we're looking at. We don't, you know, this is the process that will inform how those plans are created. Um, and what we're hearing, you know, we, that's something that we've heard in other conversations is that people would like to see kind of a, a larger perimeter in terms of how security is provided. Um, that's certainly something that will be considered as we start to put together the, the safety and the operations plan. And we're, we're lucky to have a, a nonprofit 
service provider partner that has experience with operating a facility like this in a neighborhood that's actually a residential neighborhood um, or, very, or right adjacent to an, a residential neighborhood. So um, we have their experience of what kinds of systems work with this population. Um, and also, they're going to be very helpful in helping us to um, figure out as we go, as we roll it out, making sure that everything gets taken care of quickly as issues arise, as we learn. And for that other project, is it uh, going smoothly with, that's good to hear. For very, years. very smoothly. For years, yeah. That's good to hear. Um, commissioners, uh, Commissioner Berger. So um, we're moving into like unknown territory and we're, you know, we're gonna try to figure it out as we go along. Is there a way that this could be reversed? Do you have any kind of a line? What if this isn't working and the, and the residents in the area are like, this isn't working like you guys thought it was? Is there, is, can you reverse out of this? So there's a 15-year um, commitment to the state for it to be interim housing. And so if, because they, they're giving us $6 million to renovate the property, uh, which is in really bad shape right now, as you probably know, and to provide, uh, they're giving a commitment toward the services as well. So that obligation is there. Um, if there were a need to change it, and um, you know, there, who knows? There, people. We've, we're down to 40 people who are unhoused in West Hollywood now. Maybe we solve the problem in 10 years. Um, then changing it into a different kind of service facility might be able to be negotiated with the state. Um, the, if the city were to want to turn it back into a, a commercial property and sell it, they would have to pay the state back the money. Okay, um, some more things that I have heard. Um, a lot of people, at least in Essentia, um, and these places that I've been in, they're, they, they're doing substance use. And when I was on the chamber call with you guys, um, the person from Essentia said, we don't require that they get off of the drugs. Um, I, I know this hasn't come before council yet, and you, they haven't decided what kind of requirements there are, but what if that happens? What if somebody comes in there and they're doing drugs and they're like, I, I don't want to get off the drugs? That's a, that's a good question, and that has come up. So um, I think what the um, leadership from Ascensi has shared um, in that particular conversation and what we've heard in other conversations is that people can't use substances on site or have associated paraphernalia on site. Um, but if somebody is impaired from substance and they return to the site, if they aren't creating difficulty or problems on site, that wouldn't necessarily um, trigger an automatic dismissal. Uh, from the program. They do use harm reduction models in ways that they can safely do that. Um, the community, the safety of the community, both the folks on site and the in the neighboring area are going to be a priority. Um, but there are also programs that the city has, both contracted and collaborative partners, that if substance use is the most pressing issue and is the greatest barrier to housing, then 
this, they would try to make sure that that person got into those programs and services if they were willing. Um, but people, if people can't, uh, you know, can't or won't abide by the um, kind of code of conduct or the rules for the facility, um, people have been expelled from programs um, for not being able to do that. That's an option. And I think that's kind of in line with the question you asked before is, if it's not working, we will make adjustments. Um, it is, we will, we, I doubt we will be the first program in the world that will start and have no glitches at the beginning. I'm sure we will, and we'll try to work through those as quickly and effectively as we can. Um, and so we will try to address all of those concerns as quickly as possible. And so it, what if somebody, um, they're supposed to stay 30 to 90 days, can you legally evict them after the 90 days? They're like, I don't want to leave and I don't want to improve. I'm sorry. I can you, can, you, can you kick them out back onto the home, back homeless again, um, if they don't leave in the 30 or the 90 days and they say, I don't want to improve, I don't want to leave, and, I, and you got to evict me? What happens? So typically in that 30 to 90 day period, people would be working toward their housing goals. They would work with a case manager. They would be pursuing benefits. They would be pursuing employment. Um, if they're not doing that, and 90 days come up, they would be exited from the program. Um, if they are doing that work and they're moving toward housing and they're waiting for you know, a, a check for a deposit or they're waiting for an apartment to be inspected um, to receive a particular housing voucher, um, they would not be expelled from the program for those two weeks and back on the street while they're waiting for the housing. So there are, um, occasionally there are extensions, um, but I will say over the, since 2016, in our time working with Ascensia, they have done a, a really tremendous job of getting people in that time frame into um, housing. And that could be that some people return to other parts of the country where they um, may have you know, come to California with a plan that didn't work out. Um, and sometimes it's permanent housing here um, with housing vouchers and other housing resources. Um, but nobody would be put back on the street while they're waiting for housing. Okay, and I just want to um, really encourage this outreach heavily advertised to the community because there's a lot of people that really have some thoughts on this, and I don't think that we got the word out hardly at all. So, um, well, the, we're just at the beginning. We didn't want to be doing big community meetings without coming to the commissions first, and so that's why we're here. First, and we're at the beginning of our outreach. Thank work. you. Could and I we've got a, 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 it'll, by the time we get the property, you know, get through the construction and everything, we've got a year to put all these plans together. So we're, you're here at the beginning. And, so, and some of you participated in previous conversations. We had some, we had some community conversations in June when we were just at the very, you know, like pre-beginning of the process. Um, and we're continuing to have these conversations. Some of you have been in some of those conversations. We're continuing to have those. Our hope is that as you are um, become more informed about the project and what its parameters are, what, what the goals are, um, that you could also be ambassadors and share information. You might have different feelings about the program or other things, but you can certainly provide information. Um, if community members have questions, we are always available um, at the staff level to respond to those questions. We have responded to a lot of emails and phone calls about um, the program and we'll continue to do that. And then we will also continue to have these um, community forums where people can um, share their opinion. This is, this is the beginning of the process. And even for all of you, um, this isn't the last time that you'll have an opportunity to discuss or provide feedback on the project.
I just wanted to follow up real quick on the um, drug use on the premises. Um, my suggestion on that, just given the location, would be to expand that um, that rule to the entire block there. There's a park uh, on the corner that um, is almost, it's close enough to almost be a courtyard, you know, for that property. Um, not literally, uh, but if, if, if that's not included, then that would be the likely um, congregation point. Yeah, and there's a 7-Eleven a half a block away. And I'm, my shop is across the street from the location, and so I have a lot of residents who are freaked out about this whole thing and, and people that live in the area and people that work in the area. So what about requiring people that come there to be sober? Like, they need to be sober. They can't go across the street and you know, do drugs and then come back to the facility. Like if we're, if these people are serious and they want to get off the street, I mean, one of the requirements should be you're sober and they should be tested every night when they come in and there should be a curfew for them to come in and they should be actively seeking employment um, and working on, if they have mental health issues, they should be working on that. And I think that 100% the requirement should be you have to be sober if you want if you want to stay here. Um, Actually, about 20 years ago, we learned um, through studies around the world as well as in the U.S. that requiring sobriety as a as a precondition of services does not work. And so, harm reduction is the model that's been adopted along with Housing First throughout the country and it's mandated by the federal government that we use those, um, those best practices, their evidence-based practices. So with that said, um, when people agree to come and live here for a period of time, they agree to, they're, they're coming because they wanna get off the street and they wanna be in a safe place where they can connect with their case manager on a daily basis, get their benefits lined up, uh, be uh, connect with somebody who's going to help them find an apartment, um, start uh, to learn money management skills, um, and get their life together. And but, so, yeah. But if they're dealing with addiction, that's probably why they're in the situation that they're in. So if they're going, if they're not going to deal with their addiction, all of this stuff that we're trying to do for them mm -hmm. is not going to go so far if they're dealing with the serious addiction. So I'm sober for five years, I've dealt with it. So you can't do anything else until you deal with that. So I feel like we're missing the main part of, of what's going on. So if, or if they're dealing with a serious mental illness, like that should be handled, that should be top priority. And then all the other things will hopefully fall into place. Um, I hope I'm not being too harsh, but it's really like sobriety is key. Like they can't, do drugs across the street and come back into their house, they're gonna disturb all the neighbors. And, and I mean, I just don't see that working so well. I think again, it's, it, if people are, if that is the greatest barrier and that is the biggest challenge, the case managers will generally be able to kind of make that determination, the outreach workers can make those determinations. And in many cases, the actual better path to housing is through substance abuse recovery programs. So people may engage in an inpatient program, 
move into an outpatient program. Um, oftentimes people are able to, in that, in that process, do some of the same work that people would do at, at a program like the Holloway, where they can start to access employment opportunities, maybe access benefits. They also can maybe get housing resources. They might get a Section 8 voucher. They might find someone that's a roommate through the, through the process. So we will, you know, we will work with each individual. Um, that's really how the teams work. It's you know, each person, um, what their specific needs are, what their assessment looks like. Um, but if people can function and abide by the, the code of conduct as you know, Essencia will be the, the operator of the facility and they will make determinations. If somebody is disruptive in the community and they can't abide by that, they will be exited from the program. They will still try to work with them outside that facility to try to get them into housing or recovery programs, or maybe they need a higher level of care for mental health issues, and they'll try to find that. At, at the same time we're working on this, as we've shared, we're also working on um, increasing the options for um, more immediate behavioral health uh, crisis response and working with the county DMH um, and others in the area to, to get more uh, crisis stabilization units and other um, places for people to go. We can have a team, but if there's no place for people to go, it, doesn't, it won't have that much impact. And so we're continuing to look at those opportunities as well. This is gonna be one piece in a whole continuum of care that's provided um, through our social services contracts and through the teams that we're looking to develop. Um, Vice Chair Balbone was first. So I have a couple of questions. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is very common when you look at addiction and you look at homelessness is there's an aspect of loneliness that causes people to return to the street and return to addiction. So, and to return to unhealthy behaviors because there's a person connected to them, right? What are, I would like to understand the programs that you're putting in place to help people go through that because getting off of the street could change someone's life dramatically for the better, but that interim step is quite lonely for them. Right. So that's one of the concerns that I have. And then the other one is, what I've been learning through some of the work that I do in my day job is, there's a lot of cleaning the slate that has to happen. You could have a cell phone bill that's gone to collections that prevents you from getting into housing. And it's a $200 cell phone bill. And I'd just like to understand what we're thinking about in terms of funding that helps people with that, because a lot of the programs that are in place help with everything else, but not clearing the cell phone bill. So there actually are becoming more and more of those flexible funds um, available through the Department of Mental Health and LASA, as well as through charitable organizations. But, but you know, government funding is, has, is recognizing that. And um, so that is part of the, of the construct that the case manager helps the person put together. Um, and in terms of the loneliness issue, which I, I so agree with you on that, um, uh, it's so calm. It, one of the beauties of a program like this is that people are living in a, together in a place where there are activities during the day. So there's you know, a writing group and a yoga class and a NA meeting and, um, you know, budgeting work and time for people to do art together and all kinds of things that helps them build community with each other and with people from the community who come in and lead those groups um, or lead those activities. And like the buddy program 
that the chair was referring to. Um, Resocialization is one of the things that happens in those 90 days. Tr being able to trust somebody to tell them about your life. I mean, it's, it's the challenge that the outreach workers always talk about. Um, they, they say, you know, you, you can't just go up to somebody in the park and say, come in here and, and tell me your whole life story by filling out this assessment, and have, people aren't willing to do that. If you looked at the assessment, you wouldn't be willing to do it. So building that trust over a period of time, living in community with other people, maybe finding roommates so that they could, they, they get to meet somebody or, or bond with somebody and say, let's find a place together. Um, all those kinds, kinds of things can happen in an interim housing situation. And, then and the, you're, oh, sorry, you're exactly right though. There's, in addition to those kind of clearing the, the bill, the, you know, bills there, you know, a lot of our agencies have gone through those trainings to access those troubleshooting dollars from LASA and, and others. Um, but there's also like, sometimes there's a, something on their um, criminal record. So where it's possible and it's appropriate, you know, there's records expungement work that we've done previously and that we you know, certainly anticipate um, will continue. Um, and I just wanna say one thing too about, I think the loneliness is, a, that's a very kind of humane line of thinking about this. Part of what also happens is we have to be patient with people as they go through this process. When they've been on the street for a long time, we anecdotally know from the agencies, people will move into housing and they won't sleep in the bed. They will still sleep on the floor because that's what they're used to. Um, they won't turn on the heat or the AC because they're not used to that. Um, they, it, it takes a while to, to make the adjustment and oftentimes people who are housed but were kind of staying in a particular area in the city will still come back to that area during the day because that's comfortable, it feels safe, they know kind of the rhythm of that space. Even though they're housed, they might still be visible in the community, but they're housed now. Um, but it sometimes, you know, sometimes that just takes a little while. They do that for a period of time and, and then they're able to move on. But there will be, you know, case management for folks and all those things um, to address those kind of ongoing needs as people get housed. Um, but I, I appreciate the, the thought on that too. Um, Commissioner Steele. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'm a little concerned with the amount of stigma that I'm hearing. I think reversing it sounded very Reagan-ish. I was a little bit triggered by that. Um, but I just think we have a responsibility to not criminalize homelessness. And I think those sound like big words, and it sounds like, you know, but they happen in small ways. Um, and we have a responsibility in this role, as well as the community, um, to fight that stigma when you hear it, right? To let folks know not everybody uh, unhomed is addicted, and not everybody addicted is unhomed, right? That's the, that, that's just how it is. Um, and also the idea that this is gonna be some kind of a drug den goes against the success of this program already. Um, it's a currently running program. It's got a long history of success. These programs on both the state and a national level, but you know, certainly in California, um, do have a proven track record. So it, there's a robust application. People aren't just walking in high as a kite or whatever people are thinking. Um, so I'd encourage us all to, to not just try to answer the question of what, what will they do if or when, but answer the question that that is not a likely scenario in this situation. That is not how addiction usually works. The pipeline to being rehomed usually works and going through transitional or interim housing um, usually works. There may be cases, but that's not a standard. Um, this is the way to affect long-term change. The community is constantly talking about homelessness, right? 
it's constantly on everyone's mind, out of everyone's mouths. Well, what are we going to do about it? We have a responsibility to take care of our unhomed neighbors, and this is the way. It's a fabulous program. I was a supporter right from the start. Um, I couldn't be more thankful to Corey, you and your team, and Abby, it's so good to meet you in person, um, and just the work that you're doing. It's absolutely incredible. I'm always thrilled to hear the LGBTQ plus focus. Corey has been hearing me rant for many, many, many years um, about the need to kind of work through that lens specifically in this city, um, but also, the, of course, the focus on HIV and AIDS and people of color. On a national level, 40% um, of homeless youth are LGBTQ identified. It's a big, big problem. These kids need safe spaces. Our community needs a safe space. So um, I'm, I'm just thrilled about it. And I think, I really do think it's the way to get us to um, a very different future. But I love the information of folks going back to spaces that are safe and comfortable. That's, that is something that folks that work in that space are aware of. And the community might not know while someone's still there. Why are they still on the corner? Why are they still in the park? They feel safe there. Um, and that's okay. That's what community spaces are for. Um, I wanted to just answer your questions. In terms of the hopes and concerns, um, I hope that we continue the dialogue. I hope that we can um, continue to work together in whatever capacity is fit. Um, in terms of how I see the commission engaging, I'd love for the commission to maybe tour the property if that's appropriate. Um, I'd love for the commission to maybe do a day of service if that's appropriate or if, if there was a consensus on that to whatever degree. I love the chair's idea of the buddy system. I think that's just brilliant. Um, and I've also done a lot of work with the Midnight Mission in downtown Women's Center, um, and also with an organization that's centered around reentry re after imprisonment. And programming is so important in terms of building community. We worked on a variety of programs, uh, like at the Midnight Mission, we did Laughter on a Mission, where it was comedy, and we would come in, a bunch of comedians, and we would host, and folks could get up and perform, and whatever they wanted to do, sing, preach, tell a joke, whatever. Um, and it really was fulfilling for everybody involved. So I'd love to support in any way with those types of programmings as an individual outside of the commission. Um, and then I've already had community, I have a draft email to you, Corey, <laughs> sitting there. But I've already had community reach out to me and start reaching out about how they can get involved, how they can support um, with everything from donations to um, providing services and time. So um, the community is ready for a change. People are ready to get engaged with it. So I'm just over the moon and can't wait to work with you all and continue to work on it. So thank you. Thank you. I, I would also add that, that I heard you talk a little bit about cultural competency earlier. Um, Essencia has... Um, engaged in cultural competency training for our LGBTQ community. Um, they have staff and their outreach teams that reflect um, the diversity of our unhoused population. Um, and the other thing that this kind of conversion of a motel gives us that we have been thinking about and wanting for some time um, pre-COVID um, is that having the individual rooms takes away the challenge that our trans and non-binary community members face when they go into congregate shelter, which is pick a side, male or female. Um, so while Essencia really does a lot of great work to accommodate for that in their current space, um, this gives us the option where that doesn't matter. And it's not based on, we have, now we have five female beds available and no male beds available. We won't be in that spot where we can't house somebody because of their gender. And so that gives us a lot of flexibility there as well as well as what we saw during the pandemic, which is that shelters and interim housing programs, transitional housing programs, all had to decompress and go to 50% occupancy for safety reasons. And so as we continue to be um, in a, a pandemic and you know, can try to anticipate what future needs might be, this also gives people the opportunity to shelter in place, as many of us did in the early days, 
but for people who are unhoused, they don't have a place to safely shelter in place. And this will allow that um, if needed um, for health reasons and other things. But I think the idea of having the, you know, not being in the binary of male or female sides or beds um, really opens up our opportunities to house as many people as possible. Um, Vice Chair? I had one other um, item about, you know, just thinking about this project. Creating a space that is engaging, welcoming, but also safe, knowing that the proximity to the 7-Eleven and some of the other areas, that's a concern for me more because the people who are going there deserve kind of the peace to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish and get housed. So when we talk about the design of it and the safety aspects of it, that's one of the things that I think I'd like to see come back to this commission, mostly because there's a lot of traffic around there and there are a lot of people who aren't interested in being housed around that area and the influence that could have or not have and how we plan for that and we create a very safe space for people who are going to be living there, I think is important because you don't want it to be a fortress, but you also don't want it to be completely open so I'm very interested in that piece of it. Thank you. Thank you. We are looking at um, incorporating trauma-informed design um, of the of the site, um, and I think you know those challenges exist when we're in kind of you know urban space like we are. Um, sometimes people think you know we can't have you know recovery programs right on Robertson where all the nightlife is. Um, that it's too hard to do recovery when you're in this um, kind of real you know bar club environment. Um, and people still manage to get and stay sober um, and use that space that's right here um, to do that. So it, we know it can be done. We know it's challenging. Um, and so that is certainly something that, that we'll be looking at and making sure that people have opportunities to use their time, um, hopefully in the most effective ways, to move towards um, getting more stabilized, getting the care that they need, and ultimately getting into permanent housing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Commission Secretary, do we have any public comments on this item? Yes, we have one in person and one on Zoom. Okay. Um, in person, we have Steve Martin. I, I guess I had one question. Steve Martin, West Hollywood, thank you. It's good to see everybody. Um, I had a question from staff because it's come up in, in public. Is how are people... What's the intake going to be? Because what's, what has been perpetrated or perpetuated by a number of prominent people is this is going to be like a drop-in center where people just show up and say, hey, I need a place to stay. Uh, I know you're shaking your head no, but this needs to be articulated. I mean, are these people being referred uh, from domestic shelter, domestic violence shelters, sobriety places, mental health? I mean, how are people getting here? because that seems to be a mystery to a lot of people, and the fewer mysteries we can have about this project, the better. Everybody here, well, at least as far as I know, everybody here is supportive. So, unfortunately, we are facing a number of people, as Commissioner Roman has pointed out, who are not being supportive, and for this program to be successful, we need to bring people on board, and to, and to do that, if you can answer that, that would be helpful. Um, and I, I appreciate a lot of what's been said tonight. Um, I, I think there should be access to uh, mental health counseling, 
perhaps some legal it doesn't have to be twenty four hour seven i thought that commissioner i'm sorry chair holman suggestion about the buddy system was really great and what a great way to incorporate the community i also think that the chamber should be involved in job placement i mean that just seems like a no brainer and i think that can happen i didn't mean to slight staff on that but <laughs> uh, but i have to agree with what uh commissioner roman's saying i i think we can fudge as much as you want with some of the bureaucraties, but people expect a certain degree of sobriety here because it cannot be successful. I know you're saying, well, you know, people can be working on their sobriety and then move out and, and move in maybe with roommates. Have you ever had a roommate who's an addict? Because if you haven't, you don't know what it's like. You're not, it's, I, I've had several friends and several clients who brought in people who were addicts thinking that they were going to help them, and they wound up both losing the rent control apartment. It's not pretty. So I, I thought what Commissioner Roman was saying was coming from a place of real concern for the community and for the people going through these programs. These are limited spaces, and we should be able to put up at least minimum that people are, if they have issues with sobriety, that they're working on that sobriety and that they are going to meetings and that they are substantially sober. Maybe a slip up or two may not be the end of the line for them, but you can't expect people to go to budgeting meetings when you're high. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, the other issue would be similarly for, for people who have mental health, that they're, we make sure that they're on their medications. But this thing has become politicized by at least one major spokesperson in the community. And we really have a responsibility to try to address all the people's concerns, because I think as uh, Commissioner Balbone was talking about, there's, there are opportunities here that, that, that make the optics look bad because people are concerned about people hanging out at 7-Eleven or in that park. And I, I'm sorry to go over, but this is, I feel very passionately about this and feel very strongly about this, that if we don't get this together, we're going to run with a crippled program uh, and one that we're spending years trying to defend for no real reason, but we just need to get it off the ground in the right way. I, I thought uh, Commissioner Berger's position that we don't want to start this off by winging it. I understand there's always going to be learn as you go, but I, I think we should have, be thinking about all the different contingencies now so that we can present to the community as comprehensive a plan as possible because we owe it to the community because the community expects that. Anyway, thank you for your indulgence. Um, response? Certainly, thank you, Chair. Um, in terms of how people would get into the facility, um, the city currently contracts with a number of social service agencies, um, Essencia, Step Up on Second, the LA LGBT Center, Housing Works, others, um, who work with our unhoused community members. Um, they are engaged in outreach with them. It's usually, as, as Abby mentioned, it's not usually the first time that somebody engages that somebody's going to be willing to accept services at all, let alone interim housing or, or other housing options. So all of those teams 
um, are engaged in that outreach. Um, they do make referrals. That's the process that we utilize currently um, to get people into our beds that we have um, with Ascensia and with the LA LGBT Center's youth program. So all of those teams work in concert. They do case conferencing together um, as agencies on a weekly basis and um, kind of track who's our most vulnerable folks that we're still trying to bring in and then who are people that are kind of housing, housing ready or um, interim housing ready to move into those facilities. So the teams, um, they are really the, the experts in that area and they are the ones who um, begin to make some of those determinations about um, referrals and who, what are best fits. Um, in terms of mental health care and medical care, um, it is certainly our um, expectation that we will be able to tap into the really robust uh, social services portfolio for um, those behavioral health and mental health uh, services. We also are um, at the, we're almost to implementation with um, UCLA Health Homeless Mobile Unit uh, to bring that service to the city um, on a regular basis and they will also um, we anticipate they will also provide services on site there with a mobile unit, um, as well as some of our other partners um, at Cedars, um, at Saban, and others who are providing this type of medical care for folks as well. Um, the chamber does have a homeless committee, um, and they have been active in different um, events and programming that we've done, including job placement programs. Um, and we've had good partnerships with CEDARS, Community Benefits Office, funding um, internships and externships for people who have gone through the LGBT Center's Culinary Arts Program and other things so that West Hollywood um, businesses could hire them. Um, and the, they didn't have to pay the internship, but the person would get paid. So those dollars were able to be utilized in that way. And the chamber has a significant interest in um, developing programs to help local businesses hire people who are uh, formerly homeless. And so all of those um, pieces will continue. Um, and I, I do agree, I think the, the community engagement piece is important. Um, there is, there's a lot of information that's flying around and not all of it is, is accurate. Um, but again, we are still, we are in this early phases of this. The, the idea of, you know, the, as I shared before, the idea of like a comprehensive plan, the specific program, operations, safety plans, um, they're all going to be informed by this process that we're going through now. Um, and so we wanted to hear concerns from where we have experts on commissions, um, we are hearing from the community. We just had Neighborhood Watch and Resident Association focus group, um, and we'll continue. We had a focus group with the Chamber um, Homeless Committee. So we are going to continue to have those conversations um, to inform those plans. But we don't. We didn't want to just create the plan as we thought it. You know, as we saw fit. Uh, we really wanted to get community engagement and community feedback to create that. Thank you. Um Commission Secretary, I believe we have um, someone waiting in Zoom to speak on this item. Yes, and we do, Chair, so let me transition over to our Zoom, okay. Um, Stephanie Harker, um, please unmute yourself and you have three minutes to speak. Thank you, Chair, thank you, Danny. Uh, I think, again, that the it's imperative that the actual facts get out about this project. I was part of the Neighborhood Watch and Community Focus Group, and even the next day, people were saying, they're gonna allow people to stay on drugs. That's what people lock into. And I had contact with Corey Plank, thank you, Corey, um, and said it's more nuanced than that. And I think that the nuances have to become uh, bullet point facts for people who can find out in the neighborhood in which this facility will be 
established and as well as other neighborhoods. But there needs to be some way that the informa accurate information goes out. And because, again, as a society, most of us want to help these people. And it turns into, well, how are we going to handle these people? Um, and I think the emphasis needs to be on outreach to the community at large as to what is going to go on there. And if it doesn't work, how soon will it stop? Because um, they are concerns. There's safety concerns. And if people are afraid of what's going on, then it's never going to happen. But we have to start somewhere. And sadly, I think Chair Holman, you and I both heard a lot of, not in my backyard. Why does it have to be here? Well, where? Tell us where you want this. Um, somebody said, down on San Vicente, perhaps. Well, you know what's going to happen with West Hollywood West. They're not going to want it there. So I, I think it, it just has to be information, information, information. And even if you have to send a postcard to every person in the city, we do that for the Halloween parade and the Gay Pride parade and the, the um, marathon. We get a postcard. Everybody needs to know, and they need to know that they have a right to have input in this and um, see if we can't get it off the ground and finally make some real inroads into protecting and helping those of us who are more needy than the wealthy folks in, in West Hollywood. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. If there are any other uh, members uh, on Zoom that would like to speak on this specific item, if you could please uh, raise your hand. Uh, we have uh, Kathy Blavis. Go ahead and unmute yourself, and you have three minutes to speak. Hi. Uh, thank you. Um, I just want to uh, echo what Stephanie said. Um, you know, so much goes out in terms of rumors, innuendos, and fear builds. So. I am in agreement with Stephanie, and um, I, I wonder as it gets closer uh, if perhaps even bullet point information about what it's going to be as opposed to what it's not going to be could be even posted at the Holloway so people walking by can read that. Uh, a lot of the concerns that I heard were uh, the idea that people are going to be lining up to get in. So again, I don't want to take more of your time because this is now rehashing what's already been rehashed. So outreach, outreach, outreach to dispel any rumors or innuendo would really behoove uh, moving this project forward. Thank you. Great, thank you so much, Kathy. If there are any other uh, members on Zoom that would like to speak on this specific item, if you could please raise your hand or unmute yourselves, you'd have three minutes to speak. Chair, I don't see anyone else. Great, thank you, Director Rivas. Um, thank you for coming in. Um, I think we should do this again. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done. And I would love to hear if any movement um, is happening on a buddy program because I just think it is so vital for an individual, um, like as the comment was mentioned, sometimes people get into housing, but they still sleep on the floor because that's what they're accustomed to. And that's where a buddy can come in, where they have someone to talk things through and get to a better understanding. So thank you very much. 
Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioners. Um, I would just add, so to address the communication issue, um, people can go to weho.org slash homeless and get information on the homeless initiative generally and weho.org uh, slash Holloway to get information specifically on this proposed project. So um, thank you for your time tonight and all the feedback. Um, it's definitely informative for this process. So thank you. Just thank one you. more thing. It might be great if one of you can do an op-ed in WeHoville to talk about all these things because that's where a lot of the negative stuff is coming from. So I don't know if you're into that, but that would be we, very helpful. We, we will share that with the communications <laughs> team. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, moving on, item 9B on our agenda is the multi-stalled gender neutral restroom facilities. Um, I believe we have city staff that thank you for patiently waiting. Thank you, Chair and Commissioners, especially for being patient while we played some, uh, some relocation here of the chairs. Um, my name is Francisco Contreras. I'm the city's long-range planning manager, um, and I'm joined um, by Ben Galan, who is the city's building official, uh, as well as the manager of the building and safety division for the city. Um, so in a moment, we are going to um, provide you with uh, an update of a recently passed uh, legislation just uh, recently signed by uh, Governor Newsom um, in which uh, the city was a um, proponent um, and a very um, important sponsor of the bill itself. So um, Ben's going to provide you some of that um, feedback. Um, and if we can have the presentation, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. All right. Good evening, uh, Chair Hellman. Vice Chair Balbone and Commissioners. Uh, my name again is Ben Golan. I'm the Building and Safety Manager for the City of West Hollywood. Um, ben, not to interrupt you, but could you lean in just a tad bit so we can hear you? All right, sorry about that. Better? Yes, thank okay, you. Okay, great, excuse me. Um, <clears throat> we appreciate your time and thank you for having us uh, here tonight. Um, we would like to give the Commission an update on an upcoming multi-star gender neutral restroom ordinance. I would like to start I would like to start by providing some background information on this ordinance and the work staff has accomplished to bring us where we're at today. Gender segregated restroom facilities have posed safety concerns for vulnerable people such as gender, transgender and gender nonconforming people, as well as creating challenges for caregivers of disabled persons of the opposite sex, as well as parents with opposite sex children. West Hollywood is a city that has set new standards a leader in many critical social movements and is, and is strongly committed to creating a safe, accessible environment for all people who live, work, and visit our city. On May 3, 2021, City Council directed staff and the City Attorney to evaluate and develop, in, do, and develop an ordinance to require all multi-star restroom facility be, facilities to be gender neutral in businesses and places of public accommodation. The proposed ordinance will apply to all privately owned newly new, new developments as well as building and spaces going through significant remodels. The directive also required that staff perform community outreach to help the community understand why this is so important to our city and gather your feedback. 
The Public Safety Commission is one of various organi organizations we're reaching out to. In evaluating the directive, staff started looking into amending our municipal code. Currently, the design standards for restrooms are found in the California Plumbing Code, which is required to be enforced by all California jurisdictions. These design standards strictly provide for segregated male and female facilities. The outdated code was a hurdle in providing all-inclusive facilities that provide this, this basic human need. Recently, the 2021 International Building Code adopted by most of the country included gender-neutral design standards for restrooms. Our just-adopted 2022 California Plumbing Code excluded these inclusive provisions and has fallen short. In order to enforce amendments to the design standards in the California Building Codes, code amendments must be filed with the California Building Standards Commission. To be accepted by the commission, the filing must be proven to be necessary due to geological, climatic, and topographical reasons. Amendments to require gender-neutral restroom facilities would not fit into any of these parameters and further created an obstacle for any jurisdiction seeking to enforce these types of facilities. Our city council began lobbying our, law our lawmakers in Sacramento and District 26 Senator Ben Allen championed this cause and sponsored Senate Bill 1194. In short, 1194 gives local governments the tools they need to help provide all-inclusive access to safe restroom facilities. It authorizes cities and counties to adopt an ordinance or resolution that would require all privately owned, newly constructed, or significantly, significantly renovated places of public accommodation to have multi-stop public restroom facilities. The restroom shall be designed and constructed with single-user toilet compartments and identified for use by all genders. It also gives jurisdictions the flexibility to exclude certain occupancies from these requirements. With Senator Allen's office, West Hollywood led in the efforts to aggressively bring together support for Senate Bill 1194, and later we were joined by the city of Santa Monica. 11, the, the 1194 team quickly began to meet with a variety of lawmakers in Sacramento and state code agencies, such as the Department of General Services, the California Building Standards Commission, and the Division of the State Architect to highlight the importance of this bill. Top code officials initially opposed the bill to, due to tax in the bill that would have conflict with our current state design standards. They recognized the importance of this bill and reversed the opposition after a clause was added that would repeal Senate Bill 11, 1194 once our codes were updated with provisions to allow these types of facilities. The team's hard work was successfully, successful in repeating any opposition and put into motion upcoming changes to the California Plumbing Code to include design gu guidelines for these facilities. 1194 was also co-sponsored co by the Translatin Coalition and the Los Angeles LGBT Center. The group garnered support from a mixture of code administrators, prominent social equality groups, and LA Mayor Eric Garcetti. Bill passed the California Senate and House unopposed with bipartisan support. Senate Bill 1194 was signed by Governor Newsom into law on September 30th, 2022. This ordinance will amend our municipal code and add section 19.20.260 gender neutral public toilet facilities to chapter 19.22 title 19 of the zoning ordinance. Staff will also create supplemental building and safety design, design guidelines for owners and designers.
The following images provide built applications that we're trying to accomplish, to accomplish with this ordinance. You, have many, you, have, you may have already seen these layouts in many businesses here in West Hollywood, Los Angeles, and many surrounding jurisdictions. They're also becoming common throughout the United States. These facilities will consider a variety of concern, concerns designers shared from stakeholders. Of course, safety was a top concern. When we talk about multi-stall multi gender neutral facilities, we're not necessarily referring to the traditional stall layouts. These re-envisioned facilities will be designed and constructed with single user for toilet compartments and identified for use by all genders. Water, water closets will be designed as single user compartments and designated for use by no more than one person at a time or for family or assisted use. The water closets will be enclosed on all sides by walls or partitions extending from the floor to the ceiling and a door enclosing the fixture for privacy. Urinal, urinals can be located in the water closet compartment grouped in an area visually separated from the remainder of the facility or in their own individual compartments. Lavatories may be located in the same compartment as a water closet or grouped in an immediately adjacent common use area facility to, uh, available to all users. Adequate light and ventilation will be provided within each compartment and each area of, of the facility. As you can see, the location of facilities will be required to be along open circulation paths that will maintain privacy and allow for high visibility for security. Lastly, I would like to clarify that this bill and any ordinance we adopt will not allow for the reduction in the number of toilet facilities accessible to persons with disabilities required by the California Code of Regulations or the American with Disabilities Act. This ordinance is scheduled to be brought to City Council on December 5th, 2022. And with that, I'd like to thank the Commission again uh, for your time and open up for any questions or comments you may have. Um, yes, I'll start off. Um, I think it's a brilliant idea and long overdue. My question is, um, when you have floor to ceiling doors, what's the plan to keep individuals from going in and nesting and not coming out? Well, I mean, uh, there's nothing specific in our standards that addresses that issue. Um, you know, again, we, um, we, we would definitely consider that when we're putting our standards together. Um, you know, well, I think that's a problem we already have in some of our existing facilities. So I would think it would continue um, and maybe even increase with the design. Um, security personnel monitoring maybe? Because I do think this is very important, but we just have to realize some individuals may go in and set up house and not come out. Right, so we, we do wanna um, clarify that these are um, requirements for new um, commercial um, or buildings or uh, commercial remodels. Um, these requirements are requirements that um, the city can already undertake, and we don't need this policy in order to do it in public facilities. Um, but this is mostly geared towards our um, uh, commercial developments, which would more than likely already have security in place um, in their 
the, and, you know, and their facilities um, in order to address some of these issues. Okay, do we know, um, because this plan you said has been implemented in other cities, correct? No, uh, in the state of California, West Hollywood would be the first jurisdiction to Got adopt it. an ordinance. So we don't um, have any data or statistics on how this has worked in other cities or areas? Um, not, not that I'm aware of. Um, I, I do know that some of these facilities have been, uh, these types of facilities have been providing some uh, school districts up in, uh, in the East Coast. Um, yeah, and I would think, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in school, but I think there, something like this is easier to manage in a school district than maybe in um, a public building, a public facility. But um, Commissioner, is any other question? Commissioner yeah, Roman? They do it in Santa Monica and Venice Beach. The bathrooms along there, they're, they're cut off so you can see the bottom of the person's legs when they're in the restroom. And so I think that's a good deterrent so to keep people from literally living in the bathroom and, and closing the door and locking it. So I think that maybe in a, in a school you could have the floor to ceilings, but in any parks or anything like that, there should be a cutoff at the bottom. Mm -hmm. That happened in Plummer Park um, that it was floor to ceiling and that was the whole big thing that was causing a lot of, there was a lot of crime and things and you guys renovated that whole thing and then had the uh, block by block put a kiosk there. They monitor the bathrooms now because the bathrooms can be a major problem for crime going on in there and all kinds of stuff. So that's what happened that worked in Plummer Park was renovating and that cutting that door off and then having checks by uh, security. Again, I just want to clarify again, this ordinance will be affecting uh, privately owned commercial buildings. So um, th that makes sense for, you know, public parks and public buildings, of course. Um, Commissioner Oliver. And I think um, that distinction is helpful because I've, I've had experience um, working in the city of LA and seeing um, issues that have come up at Poinsettia Park. Um, but since this is for commercial privately owned businesses, this is just seems like an overdue uh, change, you know. So that's all I have. Yeah. Thank you. Any other Commissioner Seal? Yeah, thank you for reiterating that it's new commercial property or then any, anyone facing a renovation which is defined as 50% or more of a renovation of a space, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. So uh, I also just want to note that it's Translatina Coalition. It's just super important as you're addressing community. Um, Bambi Salcido is the founder, and her voice was very instrumental in getting this bill passed. Uh, and so she is a Latinx trans woman who put a lot of work into this. So Translatina, just so you know. I know the little at looks like a period. Um, I'm super proud of the, the ordinance. I'm super proud of the city. I think if the St. Paul uh, school system can manage it, I feel like West Hollywood can handle this. Um, I think a lot of tremendous work has gone into it. I remember when it first came in and um, 
when the conversations first started, and um, I understand some of the concerns in terms of public spaces and parks. I think with our commercial businesses, um, it, go, it does go back to their business to manage, just like anything else, the flow of their business, the safety and security of their business. Um, and I also, it's just a progressive forward motion move for the city. It allows for um, not just inclusion for our trans and non-binary folks, which Corey spoke of in relation to the Holloway Project, and of course, many obviously queer leaders speak about this on a regular basis, but in addition to that, you know, this really services our disabilities community, and I think it's very important. It's Disability Awareness Month. Um, we're celebrating this citywide, and to have, um, there was someone who called in earlier, and I always take notes, I want to make sure I recognize, Yola. Yola called in earlier um, about, you know, folks utilizing the, the uh, restrooms and then they, not having a space to go. Well, this is a solve to that. These restrooms are also built to be a little bit larger. They offer more space. They can service the disability community rather than having one accessible stall. You've got an entire restroom, and this is really the forward motion our business community should be taking um, in regard to servicing our disabilities community. So I think that's extremely important. And also to adult caregivers, folks that are taking care of folks that need um, the space to do that. We've all been in these bathroom stalls where you can barely, you know, handle the business of the day, let alone take care of another child or adult person. So um, across the board, I think it's a really great move and I'm really proud of the city. So thank you for your work. Thank you. Any other questions? Um, Vice Chair? I have a question. Um, in larger spaces, and I'll pick on one that doesn't fit the bill, but let's say the Troubadour, and you have a large crowd. What do the size implications of these shared spaces, which is fantastic, what does that do to the number of restrooms they will have available, and what are the size limitation factors that they're working with and that we also have to consider? Because the single stall bathrooms in those types of establishment today offer more places for individuals to utilize the restroom. And I guess that would be the one concern that, you know, we might face in some of these multi-use larger facilities, right? So how does that work in a space like that? I'm sorry, just to clarify your question. So uh, like a large club or venue okay. where today you would have several urinals and perhaps two bathrooms, including an accessible bathroom. And then in the ladies' room, you'd have several individual skinny stalls, and then you'd have whatever space you have. How does this work for those? Like, what's the ratios? How does that play out? Okay. Uh, so in the plumbing code, um, it lays out the number of plumbing fixtures requirements uh, based on the occupant load of the building. So this bill and this ordinance is not going to reduce the number of those facilities. So okay. let's say you're at the Troubadour, there's, you know, five uh, women's stalls and there's three men's stalls. They're going to have to provide eight in total. So the reduction of fixtures is not going to change. And the number of accessible stalls is not going to change as, either. So in each uh, traditional layout, there would be one accessible stall in the men's and one in the women's they'll have to provide the minimum two accessible stalls in their layout. Okay, so there will not be a loss, including like the no, urinal space? No, there will not. We, st we still have to enforce the California Plumbing Code when it comes to the number, minimum number of fixtures. Okay, that's helpful, thank you. Uh, any other commissioner questions? Um, staff, do we have any um, public questions or comments? 
Yes, we have one in uh, person and we have several on Zoom. Okay. In person, Steve Martin. Steve Martin, West Hollywood. I, I think Vice Chair Balbone came as, well, I know this isn't the Planning Commission, but I, I, we may want to be more flexible when it comes to remodels. I, I just all over the city, there's already inadequate places like the former Gold Coast uh, that just, they're not going to be able to accommodate this sort of thing when they're going through a major remodel. But, um, so we may, we may want to look at it because we don't, the, what, the only real advantage I see on this is that it ends a long-standing uh, situation of gender equity with the amount of bathrooms. And it's, it's uh, often bathrooms, uh, toilets that are not being used in the male's bathroom are going to now be available for people to actually use. Uh, I, I think the, the biggest concern within the community uh, is about public facilities, as Commissioner Roman had pointed out, uh, and particularly the plan that was proposed for Plummer Park that didn't seem to be really reflective of the problems the park staff and patrons had given the history uh, of activity that was there. And I, I do think that we should approach this with uh, a, bit, a bit of caution, uh, simply because, uh, you know, when you're talking about floor-to-ceiling doors, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, we all know there's plenty of things when you've got nightclubs with drug use, you know, roofies, on and on and on. I mean, there, the opportunities for abuse, uh, rapes, and all kinds of things, not to sound overtly alarmist, but I, I didn't hear a lot of conversation about that from this commission, even though that's kind of your purview. Um, maybe we need to hear more from the club owners and get kind of what maybe their concerns would be, maybe what their experiences have been, uh, before we rush off to actually put something down that's mandated. That doesn't mean that we can't have ongoing conversations, doesn't mean we can't take a victory lap for having get this passed. But uh, I do think we've, we've got to look at the practicalities of this. So anyway, thank you. Um, Commission Secretary, um, any other in chamber public speakers? We have no more in chambers. We have several on Zoom. Okay, thank you. So we'll uh, begin with uh, public comment um, on this specific item. Um, Stephanie Harker, if you could please unmute yourself, you'd have three minutes to speak. Hi, Stephanie Harker, City of West Hollywood. You know, we've been called naysayers and, oh, we don't want this, et cetera, et cetera. The primary issue here is safety as it always is, and it certainly should be in front of this commission. We've heard before, the city already has plans drawn, uh, renderings were shown at a meeting, although not a lot of people were there because they didn't know about it, um, which has unsafe qualities to it. That is the outside doors. Um, we're talking about the multi-stalls, not the one that they cut the bottom off up at the text tennis hut, not the one on the outside of the community center that has the sink and the bathrooms. I believe I've heard 
from uh, public facilities that the sinks are being moved outside so they don't, it's not so attractive to camp out in there or nest in there, as someone said. My concerns are those inside bathrooms to take the, those separated men's and women's, um, fine, combine them, but you must take out those outside doors. If someone is able to push someone in there, a man, a child, a trans man, a trans woman, a woman, they can push them in there and there's no eyes on that, then you have trouble. And if we don't take off the outside doors, everything must have eyes on it at all times, or it's just not safe. We heard someone at last council meeting who had been attacked, a trans man who'd been attacked in a public restroom and left there. And it's just as plain as the nose on my face to see things happening that are not being planned for by leaving those outside doors. If you can close a door and be in with, with everyone, including men, women, children of any ilk, of any non-binary or binary, whomever it is, cisgender, it's not safe to have no eyes on it. Please look at those. I don't know if this commission has even seen the plans, but the plans are there. They're, they've already been inked in. And if they go ahead with that, you're going to have issues that are not going to, to be appropriate. It just won't be safe. You know, I don't believe that the users of Plumber Park's restrooms have been, um, this has been brought to their attention. Have they seen the plans? Do the elderly women who uh, hang out there in the senior center, do they know about it? Do, do the parents of the, the uh, child daycare center there, do they know about it? Is it okay to throw everybody in there and not have eyes on it? Please, please, please make this as safe as possible. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, next, we have Yola Dore. If you can please unmute yourself, you'll have three minutes to speak. Yes, uh, thank you um, uh, to the staff and, and chair and everyone. I'd like to ditto what uh, um, my neighborhood um, person, Stephanie Harker, said. Safety is huge, and it's even a bigger issue when you're a person with disabilities. It's not a plus, it's a minus. You have no defense. When you're a senior, it's even more so. This has happened to me in a restroom. Ironically, they weren't gender neutral, but things like this do happen, and she is correct. Someone spoke about it at the last city council meeting. It happens to men, it happens to women, it happens to trans, it happens to everyone. So I believe the issue of safety and the design that has come forward are both huge issues. I ask you please to look at those things 
before it moves forward. Thank you. Thank you, Yola. Um, next up, we have Alpita Patel. If you could please unmute yourself, you'll have three minutes to speak. Hi, um, thank you so much. I'm Alpita Patel. I live, in, I live near Plummer Park, uh, right across the street. And I just wanted to also, um, I agree with what Stephanie and Yola are saying. Um, as a longtime resident, I have an elderly mother who is with me six months of the year. Um, and I agree that for women, elderly, disabled, trans, um, for everybody, the safety issue with having that door, um, if it's to, to not have a door that's closed um, from the outside, just so that there is some kind of visibility um, for either the public or anybody walking around um, to be able to notice if something does happen. Um, otherwise, I think it's great that we are providing some kind of equity for, for everybody. And that's it. Great, thank you, Alpita. Um, is there any other members on Zoom that would uh, wish to speak on this specific item? If you'd like yeah. to, if you could please raise your hand or unmute yourself. Joel Mark, do you have a comment to make? Yes, um, I just say that I live near Plummer Park. Um, I'm a longtime resident of this community and I concur with the remarks that the other people that have come before me have made. We need to be aware of safety, and we need to be aware that um, um, we just, I'll just stop at that point. It's been said before. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Joel. If there's anybody else who wishes to speak, if you could please unmute yourself or use the raise hand feature. Chair, I do not see anyone else. Great. Thank you, Director Rivas. Um, Director Rivas, can I ask, when is this item going before council? Uh, the, I'll, I'll defer to Ben okay. and Francisco. Uh, December 5th. December 5th. So I think we need to further this discussion here so we can make um, our recommendation to council on this item because it's needed, but like the Holloway project, we have to get it right. I just, I just want to clarify, because I heard the park come up a lot. Um, I just want to make sure that we're talking about this. The, there are two separate conversations, correct? One is um, commercial spaces. I understand that some concerns have been raised about that in particular. Um, people are intoxicated at a nightclub, something like that. But then there's the park, but that's not part of this conversation. The park is separate from this conversation. I just want to clarify that because I think there's been a lot of confusion. Uh, so in I'd like a clarification beyond the park. So I think what people said was they don't want an outside door to these facilities. And I've experienced gender neutral bathrooms and they don't have an outside door. Everybody's in there together. You come out and you use a common wash area. So is there a guideline that ensures that there is not an outside door which would obstruct the line of sight and have issues with it. Sure, in, in, our design in our design guidelines, and we can actually work on that to clarify that much better, that these facilities um, are maintained along, high visibility, uh, uh, along highly visible areas. And we can definitely um, 
expand on that uh, and clarify that and what that means in our, in our design guidelines. I think that's really important because yes. what people have raised is a legitimate concern. If someone retrofits an area and puts individual stalls and there's an outside door, mm -hmm. that is problematic and that would be worrisome because suddenly somebody locks that door, closes that door, pushes someone into a stall, we don't know what's going on, then they open the door, no one has any idea, but if it's an open space where everyone has line of sight, that's different than I think what people are most concerned about. So exterior doors and non-visible areas, it's really important because that's not safe for anybody. Yes. I agree. Thank Good you. Point. Yes, go ahead. Thank you. Um, so I appreciate everyone clarifying. I think from my understanding and my experience of being in these spaces, the entire point is to not have an outside door. There is no outside door. There's simply stalls. So um, that is the point. There are many design layouts that show you that. Um, in regard to safety, I will address some of the concerns that here in person and then on the call, number one, Gold Coast was a slice of heaven, um, and they had two bathrooms. They did have floor-to-ceiling locking doors, um, and they had individual sinks in the bathroom, right? So um, they were partly there. If you could get any sink to work, you were having a good day at the Gold Coast, and I still miss it terribly. Um, in regard to safety, because safety was brought up, I want to talk about a few things because everyone continues to reference Shane, and his name is Shane Ivan Nash. He's spoken many times. Um, talking about people not having eyes and talking about sexual assault in regards to safety. So first and foremost, um, Shane was sexually assaulted in one of the West Hollywood nightlife establishments and has the second highest rate of drink spiking sexual assaults. We still don't have drink uh, test strips in those bars and that's a conversation we continue to push off but that is a preventative measure. And that bar did not have this measure. That bar had an outside closing door. Uh, that bar has stalls and that assault, that very violent, brutal assault that has not had forward motion since I've been working with Shane on since the morning after his assault when I got a call that he couldn't get um, uh, PEP and Plan B provided from service providers. Uh, I'm very familiar with that case. I'm very familiar with that bar. I'm familiar with what we have not done with nightlife owners. So to say that we need to bring nightlife owners into this conversation, everyone's always welcome, right? But the truth of the matter is, well, there's one establishment in the city that is 53% of sexual assaults unsolved. No one's talking about it. No one's taking action about it. And so um, this is a measure that actually ensures more safety. And if anyone that's here or calling in wants to go, I'll be thrilled to take you to Revolver uh, during a happy hour or any of the other establishments that already have some semblance of this in the city that you can see and understand what it is to be in this space. Um, it is safer. It is a safer environment. It removes the hand washing and the hanging out to a communal space. It is uh, has traffic in there that makes it nearly impossible for the things that you're concerned about to actually happen. It's a preventative measure, I feel, in this direction. Um, and so I'd encourage you to go to some of the spaces in the city to um, see them. If you want to email me, it's wehillcommissionersteel at gmail. I'd be thrilled to take you and show you so that you understand and don't conflate it with the park, which I understand the concern on. Um, but in regard to rest restrooms, sexual assault, and nightlife, you certainly know that I talk about it enough. I'm all over it, and I'd be thrilled to make those delineations for you. Thanks. Any other comments? Uh, just one real quick one. This is, I think that what we've heard could happen in any building. I don't care if it's commercial or whatever. It's, it's the same kind of things. And you can just, I, I really like the idea that um, 
Steve Martin brought up. We should be talking to the businesses, um, the business owners, talk to the existing ones, talk to the McDonald's, talk to the uh, old Starbucks, talk to the Sunset Plaza, all of those bathrooms. I've been in all those bathrooms. There's, there has become trouble in all of those bathrooms. So I think it's really important to get the perspective of all of the businesses too, because they know a lot more than about what's really going on out there than we do. We're actually scheduled to uh, present at the Government Advisory Committee tomorrow. So thank you for that. And you're presenting to City Council in December? That's correct. Mm -hmm. I would love to see the plans, what this is going to look like. Because I think as a body, we need to make a recommendation to Council. This is important. So. Does this need to be agendized? Do I need to make a motion, Director Rivas? Sorry, Chair, can I just offer one more thought before we go to a motion, if that's okay? I just want to remind everyone that the City of West Hollywood co-sponsored this bill. It came through our council. The work has already been done at council. Is that correct? correct? The council put the work together. This was on the agenda. The public had opportunity to engage. We did. Those of us who were engaged did engage. Um, and it's it's passed. The bill is passed. So 1194 is happening. Um, it already went to council and the city council. The city of West Hollywood as a city co-sponsored this bill. So it's not like we're going to go back to council and they're not going to sponsor this bill if the work is done. I'm pretty sure they're just asking for our input, not to advise them whether or not to move forward. This is happening. It's done. Okay. I get it. So um, I don't understand the necessity for our input then. Well, it, did, it didn't pass council. I think it's to address some of the concerns that we're seeing in the community and to get clarity because oftentimes even people who are highly engaged attend one meeting and not the other, right? So I think we're hearing people with a legit concern about anybody who tries to implement this with an outside door. That's a no-go and we support that. I don't think anyone here has said that that's the thing that we would want you to move forward with. So clarifying that, making sure the public knows that making sure it is abundantly clear that people cannot have walled off access of any sort to these stalls, which would you know, create issues in any type of establishment that implements this is important. And I think that's a good conversation we had tonight. So I think that's the kind of input that people are looking for mm -hmm. is just that kind of let it marinate, let it sit, let people talk about it, let people bring their perspective and clarify it and make sure it's very clear in our guidelines and that there is no wiggle, that line of sight is something we all want. Okay. Thank you. Um, any other comments from commissioners? I, 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 because we couldn't, the word didn't get out, I didn't even get to read the report on this and the homeless, both of those items, I don't think we, we got the word out enough to the community. And we're the Public Safety Commission. I agree with you, Chair, that we should put this on our next agenda and advertise big time to the community and let them speak about it. Well, the, the community will also be able to speak at City Council um, as well. There'll be a public comment period before any action is taken. I think the, the, the item was to receive input from the commission tonight, not to be the final word, but to, to add input um, along with other boards and commissions. Um, I would imagine uh, you've got a few stops to make, um, but then ultimately they'll go to council. 
Yeah, I understand that, but if it's already, the wheels are in motion and it's going to council, what difference does anyone's input make? Um, so yeah, we're part, you're a part of um, our long um, roadshow um, where we are providing folks an update as to what the assembly bill um, that got signed um, was all about. And um, then um, taking your input and any new ideas that you might have or any clarifications um, that we can uh, take and synthesize and put into the final basically specs. Right. So all of this new information that comes from um, from you and from the public will then fine tune uh, the zone text amendment that goes forward uh, to council along with um, the the input that we received today. So um, sort of we're gathering as, as as many recommendations as possible and make the final um, recommendation to uh, to council. So we're going as we mentioned to the chamber of commerce tomorrow. We're going to the um, LGBTQIA. Um, Board commission board um, uh, on Thursday, um, and then planning commission and a, a series of other uh, boards um, and commissions. So this is just sort of one of the uh, feedback um, opportunities that um, the community has to provide us with any of those concerns. So we're taking as much of that in, synthesize it into the report to council, and then they will make the final determination. So what are our recommendations to them? Do, are you clear on our recommendations? Um, yeah, we took plenty of notes, okay. so we will um, synthesize those and then present those to, uh, to council. And at the same time, fine-tune um, the design guidelines per your rec recommendations. Okay. Um, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you very much, and thank you for your patience. Uh, moving on on our agenda, um, item 10, updates from staff. Staff, do we have any updates? Um, just uh, just some reminders in terms of the calendar, um, and I know that our Los Angeles County uh, Fire Department and West Hollywood Sheriff Station um, staff, when they were presenting their monthly reports, did mention that this week is the kickoff of their West Hollywood Community Academy, uh, which begins on Wednesday, and then um, this Saturday we have um, the CERT program. Um, that begins. So each of those is a bit of a commitment, um, but again, just extending the invitation for um, the entire commission, and please also forward that uh, on to any um, community members as well that are, are looking to participate. Um, aside from that, I don't have any other updates, um, but here to, to take any questions the commission may have. Commissioners, do we have any questions? No? Okay, thank you, Director Revis. Um, item 11 is public comments. Commission Secretary, do we have any public comments? Yes, we have one in chamber, Steve Martin. Thank you, Steve Martin, West Hollywood. And thank you, Commissioner Steele. I, I will go to Revolver, that's a great idea. Um, one thing I wanna say about this process, because it did get a little confusing, is the, uh, the legislation that was passed enables the city to make, to, to allow our zoning code to have either mandated or, or non-mandated multi-gender bathrooms. It, it, the legislation does not mandate that we create these bathrooms. It doesn't mandate that we make them mandatory. There's no rush on this. 
and I don't understand why staff has established a December 5th deadline if community input is important. Clearly, that is not the case. This commission's charge is to give the best possible advice and allow people to have input to talk to you about what your concerns are. And as we saw, to some degree, that process was short-sighted, or short-circuited, rather. What staff said inadvertently probably best describes what we have seen the last two and a half years, or maybe even longer. But staff said this was just part of its roadshow. I don't know how much more dismissive staff could be to you. This is a roadshow. It's bullshit. They're not asking your opinion. And they're not asking my opinion. They're not asking the public's opinion. And this is not the only issue. This happens all the time. Things have gotten so bad in this city that was supposed to be the model for urban democracy, small town democracy, and instead we get staff roadshows. The only way it's going to stop is if we all take a deep breath and stand up to staff and say, no, this is not going forward because we have responsibilities as commissions and board members. And we have responsibilities as citizens to make sure that this process works. If we don't want the process to work, we don't need to have these meetings. Staff's perfectly capable of doing whatever it wants and has made itself very clear that it will do that regardless of what people's input are. And I, I don't mean to be critical of you because this, this has become really part of the culture of commissions in West Hollywood to let yourself sort of be swept along with, well, we've got this deadline. The deadline for council is completely artificial. There's no reason, December 5th is just a fictitious date. I mean, it's a real date in that they've set it, but there was no reason to set it until after everything has had meaningful public input. And I'm sorry that didn't happen tonight. But anyway, I, I, thank you for all your service and it's good seeing you all in person. Bye. Uh, thank you. Um, commissioners, are we all good with where we're at on this agenda item? Chair, Chair I'm sorry, we have um, some speakers on Zoom. Oh, sorry, apologies. Go ahead. Um, so Kathy Blavis, if you could please unmute yourself, you have three minutes to speak. Hi, uh, thank you for that. Uh, Kathy Blavis, City of West Hollywood. Um, I, I just wanted to say something either in a, certainly in agreement with and in possibly in defense of uh, public speaker Michael Wojcikowicz at the first public comment. Um, the fact that this uh, meeting tonight was noticed both at 6 and 6.30, the fact that if you go to the calendar and you click on uh, public safety commission meeting, you don't get the agenda. You then have to go out and go into a different site and find the agenda. Then you find the agenda. You have to read through it to find the Zoom meeting. Then you find the Zoom meeting and there's no link. This is a problem. And the fact that all of our meetings don't have exactly the same ability to click once, get the agenda, click on a link that takes you right to the Zoom meeting is at the very, very least frustrating. 
Michael, I agreed with him 100%. I almost, I was so frustrated that I couldn't get on. I kind of walked away. And if Stephanie Harkin hadn't persevered, I wouldn't have joined in this evening. Um, the other thing that Michael was mentioning, and uh, I know this because I've, I've spoken with him, he, he believes he got some illness from working in the community garden at Detroit uh, from possibly a mouse. And then he went on to state a safety issue, a public safety issue. That, uh, and this is the first I'm hearing of this, that there may be a rodent problem at Ralph's, which is not far from the community garden. So the fact that he didn't get beyond his three minutes, the fact that he got so frustrated is frustrating for me, for him, because again, just getting on to the meeting is frustrating enough. Um, having said that, I'm so glad Steve Martin spoke up just now because the process is broken and this is not the first time. It's not the first time we as a community will hear the words, you like it, don't you? So I hope that you as a commission maybe do put a little bit of a halt on this. Is this also, and I'm using the words that Steve Martin used, that staff used, is this roadshow also taking it to the disability advisory board? Um, no disrespect towards anyone, but this is important and how it is achieved is vital. The safety of how this is achieved is vital. So thank you all for your service and thank you, thank you for letting me speak. Thank you, Kathy. Um, are there any other members um, on Zoom that wish to speak? If you do, please unmute yourself and you'll have three minutes to speak. Chair, I don't see anyone else. Okay, thank you. Um, I have mixed emotions here. The presentation was obviously great, but it came across as, uh, we're just letting you know what's already been decided and what's going to be done. So I, again, don't understand the point um, I think we should be a little more involved on this mm -hmm. topic. And we're now at, you know, commissioner comments. So this is my comment. I mean, I really would like a motion, make a motion to agendize this mm -hmm. item for our next meeting. Yep. Uh, second the motion, Chair. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So we've got a second. So I think we really need to spend some time on this. Yeah, and, and I will suggest to um, if the commission is amenable to similar to what we've done before on other topics, if um, if it's the will of the commission too, to also digest everything that's been presented this evening, look at the staff report, right, that was uploaded, um, take some time for that. We can certainly um, draft a memo as well, like we've done with the dockless uh, mobility scooters, um, like we're gonna be circulating uh, the draft uh, this week as well regarding the pickpocketing um, study session and debrief and discussion that the commission had as well. So this is something that um, staff can certainly do for the commission on behalf of the commission. Um, as well. So I don't know, um, I can't commit the staff that presented, um, but we can certainly have the item agendized. Um, but again, if the commission is amenable maybe to looking at um, developing a memo that you could again just attach. So when the item does go to the city council in December, um, similar to what we did with the dockless mobility again, we could do that. I, I did not, I could not 
give meaningful input because I didn't have the information in advance far enough. I didn't have the report. The same thing with the public. They didn't know about this. And some of them could not get on. Even if one person could not get on with a password, they didn't get a chance. So that's, it's probably a Brown Act violation or because they didn't have a chance. They couldn't read the report. Victor emailed us and he says, where's the report on this? I can't even read the report. And that was only a few days ago. It wasn't 72 hours. So because of that, I don't think that I personally could give good input. I didn't have the information. Okay, so I think if we do agendize for our next meeting, um, we can maybe correct some of the errors and mistakes that were made and make sure that the public um, is involved. I'd like to amend the motion. Yes. I think the other thing that we've heard, um, and there may be other voices, but we did hear one group's voice very clearly that has concerns, and that is the Disabilities Advisory Board. So I'm happy to agendize this on our meeting, but I think I would also like clarification that this item is going to be taken to that board for their unique feedback. I agree. I second that. Is there a motion on the floor? It was an amended motion. That was second. Oh, uh, oh got it. Okay, okay. So it's debate over then. We just have to vote on the motion then. I just don't know what work this body is going to execute between now and then. I think we've had a lot of public input. It was all heard. It was all valued. This has been ongoing since May 3rd of 2021. This has been to council. This has been to other bodies. If you could look at me and say, after today, I'm going to go to long range planning. I'm going to have these dialogues. I'm going to visit every bar in West Hollywood. If you could say to me, if you could look me in the face and honestly say, this is the work that I will commit to this issue between now and then, I would find it believable. If not, I find it an item that we kick the can down the road, we come back, zero personal effort has gone into it, and we hear maybe four more people than we did tonight when they have the opportunity to talk to council. And I'm not saying that council we just agree blindly with council or do whatever they say. I'm saying the city of West Hollywood as an entity would not go through the trouble of co-sponsoring a bill with the state of California if they weren't going to see it through. They're going to see it through. And I think we got really robust feedback about fears, about inclusion for the disabilities community. And we were also told it is going to all these other bodies. I just don't know what more work this body feels it can commit. Move it. Agendize it. It's fine by me if that's what you all want to do. I just highly doubt, sincerely, that there will be a robust input of work between now and then. We couldn't even agendize a sexual assault and nightlife safety, and that's something that we've had before us. But now we're agendizing something else for another stacked meeting. I'm just concerned about bandwidth. Well, I think some commissioners do have concerns. So um, I would like the motion to move forward. And the, the concern I think that I think is valid is the report in terms of the, the noticing. That's the only thing that I would say is, is definitely compelling on this. Um, but I do think mischaracterizing um, a dedicated municipal professional's words, um, in my opinion, for political reasons, um, he said he was going on a road show uh, as a tongue-in-cheek way of describing the fact that he's going to give the same 
presentation and ask for the same input from every board and commission. Um, that wasn't to, to say that this city doesn't value um, the public's input and that it's not being heard. Um, I think that that was, uh, um, uh, we owe it to the, the people who come to work in our city every day um, and who work on these, to work respectfully with them. Um, and I, I didn't find that to be respectful. So um, if we need to continue um, uh, discussion, that's, and if it wasn't uh, noticed, um, that's one thing, but I think we need to work um, collaborative, collaboratively with um, city staff, not uh, in an antagonistic way. I, I agree with you in general, but I don't find it collaborative to get things late, and I don't have a clear understanding that it is going to every border commission. So if that's the case, I'm good. That's why I want it to go to the Disabilities Advisory Board totally. so their unique feedback is heard. Happy to have that. They can speak to things that I don't understand. They have fears that I don't have. Um, and I think that we're in the unique position to say someone's raised a safety concern. Absolutely. It should be heard. And I think if it goes in December and we talk about it next month based on anything more or we just put down what we think, which I think the, the one thing that we've talked about here is making sure it's very open space, I don't think there's any harm. Um, so I do agree with Commissioner Steele, though, that we have an elephant in the room of a topic that we have been trying to get wrestled to the ground and get progress on since last year and there has been a lot of pushing on it, um, but I don't think we're there yet. So I, I'd like to see if we can commit to what we want to do on this agenda item, and then I would like to figure out how we motion for that work because it's still, in my mind, hanging out there. Director Rivas, so will we have this on our next agenda? Is that what I'm hearing? So, I mean, it, it sounds like we have consensus then from uh, the majority of the commission to place this item on the agenda. I would think so. Yeah. Okay. And just to clarify that there was no Brown Act violation and the noticing and posting requirement has to do specifically with the agenda, um, not staff reports. Um, we'll admit that, um, you know, it just got uploaded um, this evening or today and this afternoon. Um, so that obviously does give a short period of time uh, for the commission as well as members of the public. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, in addition to that, I, I did pull up what you guys have all hopefully on your screen and what you're seeing on the projector is our Public Safety Commission website. This is the city's website. Um, I believe what folks are referring to is the 6.30 p.m. that's reflected there. Um, so as I mentioned before, the 6.30 p.m. that's reflected there is, is in place because that is what's reflected in our Public Safety Commission bylaws. Uh, so we went over those bylaws um, at least at two different commission meetings. Um, and so when somebody clicks, which I'm gonna do now to current agenda packet, 
Now this post, this is, this is what folks have on the agenda this evening. Um, you can see that it lists special meeting at 6 p.m. Um, and so the reason why it's termed as a special meeting is again, given the fact that uh, the meeting is starting at 6 p.m. as opposed to 6.30. Um, so that is the reason why we have that. But the 6 p.m. is listed here. Um, if I go uh, back, to where we were at on the Public Safety Commission website. If you scroll down uh, to upcoming meetings, you will see the next two dates of the commission. We do have it listed at 6 p.m. because again, that's a consensus uh, that the commission has made in terms of even recommending that we change our bylaws. Um, if I go back up a little further, under current agenda packet, you have meeting agendas. So if I click in 2022 agendas, I click on Public Safety Commission special meeting agenda, which is again this evening. You'll see that the PDF says Monday, October 10th at 6 p.m. and you have special meeting highlighted there. So I just wanted to point that out again. I know it's come up. Um, and so I will speak with our city clerk to see if, if there is a way for us to update the 6.30 p.m., which is again currently reflected in our bylaws for the Public Safety Commission, if we can change that to 6 p.m. to kind of remove any sort of confusion um, that folks are experiencing. All right, thank you. Director Ravis, one, uh, one other thing I think um, uh, Kathy or uh, Stephanie may have mentioned is it's the community calendar that when you go into that and it's got all the meetings, you click on, it's the right time, but there's no agenda and there's no direct link um, to get to the uh, agenda or the public safety page. Community calendar, okay. Okay, um, thank you. Um, before we have any other commissioner comments, um, I wanna give the floor to Commissioner Sungjiang. Hi everyone, I just wanted to share that this will be my last public safety commission meeting before I head back to finish my PhD. Um, and I want to take the opportunity to thank you all for this incredible learning opportunity. Thank you to staff. Thank you to city council. Um, and I'm really proud of what this experience symbolized, which for me is what's possible when these opaque contracts and safety interventions and budget decisions are exposed in the court of public opinion. And I also want to be really clear that this experience has also unleashed a completely overwhelming amount of hate misinformation, racism, and misogyny. We've seen just this weekend how supporting racist policies actually does have a root in racism. And there's no other way to describe what it means to call a city council member's young black son a monkey and to talk about beating him up. And so West Hollywood is not immune from this kind of behavior. And it started with a local blog that reached out to me describing their personal fascination with me, not the substance of my ideas, but me, and then dedicated way too much time into crafting a caricature that I do not recognize. And it's not normal for a head of the largest sheriff's department in the world to go on Facebook Live calling me a woke wonder. It is not normal to have cartoons of me karate kicking people, of me with burning buildings with a gun in my hand, and to have Fox News and Ted Cruz pile on to a public safety commissioner. And those posts are filled with misinformation and they are dangerous, especially when there's currently a manhunt for my residential address led by grown men twice my age, some of which are running for office. 
And so here are a few messages that I received in the past few days. Nika is truly a disgusting person who needs to be treated meanly. Nika was a terrible cancer upon West Hollywood and Los Angeles. It's ironic her father attempts to cure it. May a meteor knock what little brains you have out. Don't leave home without your gun loaded because of the far left trash and their rot for brains. I hope she looks the wrong way in England as a speeding bus comes along. Just remember, Nika, when you are stabbed or beaten and robbed in West Hollywood, it is not by a criminal. And I want to be clear that this is, does not represent the majority of the city. It is a vocal minority dogpiling on one person asking questions about a department with a budget the size of some states. And it also isn't about me. It's a misconception that one member of everyone here in this policy recommendation body has completely ruined a city. And that can't be fixed by a few civics lessons, but it can be fixed by addressing constituents. And I hope that in future meetings and in our personal capacities, we can all urge voters, especially young voters, to listen to candidates in this election and ask who they are accountable to, what the substance of their ideas are, and if they're contributing to an unsafe environment or condoning violence against those who are the most vulnerable, who do not have a voice, who do not have a microphone. And I also hope that the next young woman of color who wants to learn how government works and how it can be improved isn't deterred. And that we all vote like the city and the county depends on it because it does. So thank you all. You haven't seen the last of me, but for now, thank you all so much. Uh, thank you very much, Commissioner Shonjian. And um, I think I can speak for uh, the commission. Even if I can't, I will. Um, we all wish you the best in your studies and moving forward. Uh, any other commissioner comments? Yeah, I just want to say, um, Commissioner Sun Chiang, I loved working with you. You taught me so much, and uh, I will miss you terribly, and I wish you the best of luck, and thank you for uh, helping West Hollywood become a better city, because you really have, and you taught me so much, so thank you so much. <clears throat> Any other commissioner comments? Commissioner um, Yeah, thank you so much. I also just wanted to uh, thank, we didn't serve together that long, Commissioner Sinchong, but um, I've seen what you're talking about. I've spoken publicly about what you're talking about. I've spoken about it at council. I've asked council to take a stand um, about all of the bullying, and we hear uh, so much about it, and even tonight, there's questions in the room of, you know, there's misinformation. Well, don't shrug your shoulders and say there's misinformation. We're all adults, we all have a voice, and we all have a responsibility to the community. That's why we're here. Stop the spread of misinformation. Don't participate with any local entity that spreads that, that spreads hate, that engages in racism. It starts with that baseline commitment to be anti-racist and to stand for community by not engaging. I'm not going to ask anyone to write an op-ed. I'm going to say don't engage at all. Don't give them a single click. Who cares? It's a blog. Who cares about a local blog filled with misinformation with about seven commenters? My dog has more followers. It's not that interesting, period. At the end of the day, we all have this responsibility, and I just wanted to stress, I agree with Commissioner Oliver, I think the roadshow thing was a side comment. You know, 
you can't be 50-50 on hyperbole, right? You either are against it or you're a part of it. So you can't stand here and say, we have to be transparent and we have to communicate fairly with people and then participate in hyperbole. And I will say it if no one else will, participate in the actual manhunt to find this woman's address, which you did. Have accountability, you're running for a public seat. It is dangerous, it is toxic. I reached out to the city clerk and asked to confirm that none of our addresses are publicly available. The fact that people think they have this right to access to people is outrageous. This is a civil servant volunteer position. What is it, a $75 a month stipend? Okay, where, where are we going with that? What, what access do you think you buy? And then I also just want to remind everybody that the only person that you can demand sobriety from is yourself. You cannot demand sobriety. Most of you wouldn't demand it from your family or friends, let alone strangers you have no connection or commitment to. It's outrageous, it's gatekeeping, and it's unnecessary. We're better than this. If you aren't familiar, West Hollywood has a robust and wonderful sober community. You can reach out to Jimmy Palmieri, one of the founders of the Tweakers Project, Robert Gamboa, um, who also built Sizzle and Boom, our huge sober programming events, and a lot of other efforts to protect and engage a sober community throughout the year. And I'll respond to, have you ever lived with an addict, to, yes, have you ever loved one? Have you ever loved someone that's lived through addiction and watched them fight stigma for years on end? We have a responsibility to do that, and public safety means keeping our public safe, including from stigma, hyperbole, racism, and all the other bits. And I'm just wildly proud of a lot of the folks that called in and shared their opinion. Um, I want to thank them and everyone else. Good night. Goodbye. Okay. Um, Commissioner Oliver. Well, I just want to say um, thank you for your service to the city. Um, there aren't two people on this commission who are going to agree on everything, and that's why we're, there are seven people sitting here, so that we can bring all of our ideas to the table. Um, and as a West Hollywood resident, I'm sorry for the kind of hate and vitriol that you received that's abhorrent, unacceptable, and, and there's nothing else that can be said. That's, you should be able to voice your opinions, um, stand for what you want, stand for what you stand for, and not face that kind of hate and vitriol. So thank you, and I'm sorry to hear that. And I hope that those messages go away soon and that you have success in your studies and whatever's next. Yes, we'd like to see report cards, straight A's. <laughs> um, with all this said, uh, oh, sorry, Vice Chair. Go ahead. I wish you all of the best. Um, we will be watching and cheering you on. Congratulations on finally getting back to your PhD efforts after COVID. I know that that's been a major goal. Um, and just, you know, one of the things that I think is really, really important in life is the ability to work side by side with people who you don't always agree with, but who you see as a human being who you can sit side by side with and talk with. And I've appreciated the ability to do that with you. Best of luck to you. All right, um, commissioners, thank you. Uh, city staff, thank you. And with that said, we are adjourned until our next meeting on Monday, November 14th here in chambers at 6 p.m. Good night. <laughs>